something happens when I watch the second half of that series, and I just completely change from, like, really trying to take everything seriously uh, to just being like, oh, this was just funny. Um, it's, the, it's the Ronnie uh, effect. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ronnie. Who's Ronnie? I can't remember who Ronnie is. I can actually remember who this is. Why is in... Ah, well. Is this what happens when you just, like, become an immortal for so long and you've just eaten so many other immortals that, like, you just become whatever this weird godlike being is because you keep, like, accruing mm. knowledge and, and experiences and everything? I thought that was interesting. And then also being, like, there's ways that they are portraying this, like, demon that are lining up with the real Tracer. Again, don't know if that connection will get drawn or not. Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your uh, other co-host, Connor. Hey, everyone. And we have a special guest. John Charles is back. Obviously. Hello. Today, I am a maximum uh, dominist. Yes, in spite of all of the listeners... Uh, complaints and feedback asking us to kick JC off. <laughs> We're st- we, we have brought him back him back regardless. Just uh, try to get rid of me, kids. Just try to get a, rid of me. We we do have contractual obligations here. Um for all of our guests and also for Coca-Cola um to show no, Coca-Cola story. Remember it's n- no. Do you remember what happened with that? No, our sponsor I, I Squirt don't, said I don't that handle we can't, our contracts. Our sponsor Squirt said that we can't promote Coca-Cola Starlight anymore. Um So yeah. I mean, I, I mean drink I, Squirt. Look, 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 Coca-Cola Starlight is in the past. Now it's all about Pepsi Nitro. The Pepsi that feels like beer, but you wish that it was. What about the um what was the was it Pepsi that did that the pixel thing? Oh yeah, I've got a I've got a can of that sitting at um work. Uh, at some point, we, we're gonna try to do like a soda tasting stream, and one of my coworkers got a box of the uh, pixel flavored Coca Cola for us to taste. So uh, I'll I'll keep you posted as to what that what a pixel tastes like. Um, I've got a feeling it it just doesn't it doesn't taste like anything special. Today we are discussing episode <laughs> seven through sixteen of Bacano. It tastes like marketing uh, or bullshit. Or 9 through 16. <laughs> I think I said 7. We're episodes 9 through 16. 7 through 18. Um, yeah. Of Bacchino. <laughs> so this is the the end of the original run, 9 through 13. Um, and then the three episodes that came out on the DVDs, I think, is how they first got released. Um, they like 
put one on three of the the discs so like one each on three of the discs when they release the actual series um do do we want to run through synopses or should we start with my my whole like perception of this series changed when i watched these episodes (laughs) i don't know if we want to get into that now or do synopses i think last time we were like a little bit too married to our synopses (laughs) and this time it might be good to just say like fuck it um or get around to them later if if you have thoughts immediately um yeah i mean so the thing that that happened in between the other so I, i watched through all of it and then um today like when I had a little bit of downtime during various moments, I listened to the uh, abnormal mapping episode, and there's this mm-hmm. moment. Like I was listening to to the so on that network network they have um, your uncle's beach house, um, and I had this moment of like relief because last episode I felt like we were talking through like all the the things that are going on in the series around like how it's handling immortality and and going through time. Um, and especially that first episode was um, disorienting in a way where, and also like there were little pockets of humor, but there's so much like violence that happens suddenly and things that I was kind of thrown off. And I feel like I was tricked into thinking that Isaac and Miria are the comic relief. And as I was watching through these episodes, I was just starting to laugh more and more about how, like, the entirety of Bacano, I, I treated about this on Locked, is um, in a shonen anime where everybody's, like, really into a card game or, like, Pokemon or whatever. And, like, literally the entire world just cares about this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Bacano kind of feels like that, but the hobby that everyone cares about is just, like, killing people really good and loving killing people yeah it's just Um, crime like at a certain point the show does make an argument of like truly aren't the criminals and the mafiosas the one who have enjoyed life the most of all yeah um and so and in those first eight episodes like lad is is the one who's like the most like this and his gang is kind of like this but it's really lad um and there's the stuff going on with the the rail tracer but like there's the supernatural stuff that's been happening. I'm not like quite sure what's going on with the, with that. And then literally episode nine is like, okay, the rail tracer is just another guy who loves killing people a lot. And will do long monologues about like his weird interior logic about who he will and won't kill and why, like the, the type of killing he finds most pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, is the show aware that they're just doing this, that they're like doing the jokey, like anime sicko murderer villain that will show up in a shonen arc. Um, but that that's like kind of just what the, like nobody is really the hero or there's some that are kind of that, but like, are also like, yeah. And then I killed a bunch of people like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so as it went on, I started being like, is this actually all a comedy? And the the joke is, it's a comedy where there's a bunch of anime people who what they love more than anything in this world is killing people, except now there are immortal people. And that's just like, like, in the way that when you watch a bunch of this anime where there is just this gruesome violence, you get like inured to it, like you mm-hmm. become kind of immune and numb to it. 
there are literally people in this world who are just numb to it and can die over and over again. And then there are people who love killing and then they will just kill the people and then they will reform and then they can be killed again. And it almost just becomes to me like a joke about how some of this anime stuff plays out um, in a way that felt the most confirmed when we get the third. I'm, I'm an anime sicko who loves murdering. Yeah, um, Graham I, I, got some, I got some thoughts about Graham Spector. <laughs> um, and he just comes in and is the most this. And his whole deal is he's a mechanic who can, like, take apart an entire car really quickly or whatever. Um, and also kill people good with his monkey wrench. Um, and there's a part where he even, like, does one of his huge monologues. And at the end, his, like, lackey is, like, wait, you just contradicted yourself. And I'm like, okay, I feel like this show knows what it's been doing the entire time. I think it's like just aware of like how ridiculous and over top the top that is. Um, but it was, and I think the other thing is I was wondering how a lot of the stuff with like sharing information and immortality and everything would play out. And some of it did a little bit, but I feel like the end point is just like, the people who make the most of being immortal are like the two fools who don't even realize that they are immortal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Um, And like, they are like in, in actuality, kind of the stars of the entire thing. They're the one that meets everyone. And they're the ones that are just like, I don't know. Life is good. Life is fun. We just run around and steal stuff. (laughs) As I, as I point out on the last, on the last episode, they are the Forrest Gump's, the Forrest Gump and the R2D2 of this show. Like they, they meet everybody. They stumble in and out of stuff. They they accidentally invest in Apple computers and make everybody rich. Like that's <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that is a thing that they did in the seventies. If everyone's like Isaac and Miria stole all this money from Microsoft and invested it in what they thought was an apple orchard. Like if they did that, I would not be surprised. But there is there is a lot of that going on where it's like, and then I met the rail tracer again (laughs) (laughs) well and part of it too that like made me just start laughing at what the show was is as like Chaz does this whole monologue of like oh like basically trying to be the smart kid which is a trope that will come up in anime of like oh the little kid who's actually way smarter than he seems and is clever and is playing everyone Um, and he tries to do it to lad but you in the way that like some of my favorite bits in crow high operate on you knowing how it's going to end you know that lad loves killing people who feel extremely secure that they're not going to die and yeah, is now put up against a yeah a small child who thinks that he's playing everyone and knows that he can't die because he's immortal and so of course what lad is going to do is not get played by him and is just going to shoot him in the head with a shotgun the thing that we saw in episode one mm-hmm. um And that was the part where I'm like, oh, stuff that seemed really serious early on almost now feels like a setup for a joke at this point. And I love that. I love that they are using uh, this, like, jumping around through time, this, like, you know, um, out of sequence form of storytelling. I'm, like, drawing a blank on the term for that suddenly non-linear yes this like non-linear storytelling and mostly just to like set up and pay off jokes Mm -hmm. um is fantastic to me but it was this thing of so much of last episode was me trying to figure out was me having this moment of like there's some interesting stuff here but i i don't know if it's developing developing it enough yet and i really want to see how it ends and then i got to this and i was like oh i think i was just approaching it wrong the entire way um 
There is a couple of interesting things that are happening around some of this stuff, but really this is a comedy. And if I mm-hmm. just approach it as a comedy, I enjoy it more. And I think that it's like more what it is interested in doing. Um, and then I listened to the beach house episode and they just talked about how funny it was. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm like, <laughs> not just way off base or something like, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of where I ended up. Um, in a way where I came to this being like, I don't know what I'm going to have to talk about other than this was a really funny show that I like ended up enjoying at the end in a way that I was slightly rolling my eyes of like, oops, all anime sickos. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. I'm, I think of all the anime sickos I still stand by. I think lad works the best for me because mm-hmm. he, he, he is shown as the most uh, unstable. When we get to the other two anime boys, there's not that much that's actually unstable about them because like the thing about lad is that he's he, he's a type of trope that i think i just do kind of like in fiction in general like if you've ever read or played sam and max it's the kind of thing that max is where it's like well he is this murderous psychopath that always wears it with a smile but he's not an idiot he is he takes pleasure in things and he never is paying attention to he never cares about what's going on at the moment but when he needs to he'll make it very clear oh no i've been seeing what's happening i, I know what's up here and like I think that works for Lad. I think it would work even better in his favor if he was the only monologuing anime boy. Um, Claire works for me because there's an element of Claire being in the background the entire time without being identified right down to the opening. And like, there is a satisfying payoff of him starting to become a player of this cast. That being said, I still don't think there's enough time for Claire in this show for us to feel like we get him or that we even like him, even with the OVA at the end. I just don't think there's enough time for how much they really want to try and get into his philosophy and his mind. But I mean, like, I think there's there's we're with Lad from the very start. So we get like 13 to 16 episodes of getting to spend time in this character's head, which does lead to like, I think, like the payoff of that. I guess you can call it the punchline of actually seeing what happens when Lad meets Chez, because like this this show has some like incredible face acting going on. Like it is a it is a really animation wise these are really uh, detailed uh, character models they're working with, and they get a lot of good acting out of them, um, especially in the thirteenth episode and the whole uh, confrontation with. Um, with uh, Ziller, they're like, I was like, did they hand this off to a different animator? Because, like, these faces are way more intense suddenly. But um, there's some great acting on Lad during that scene where, like, if you have an idea of, like, who Lad is and his philosophy, you can see, like, the exact point in, like, Chez talking to him that he goes from, like, listening to this kid to now, to him realizing, oh, no, yeah, I'm going to kill him. him. Yeah. No, not not yeah, even anticipating. Sure. He just knows, like, as soon as he's done talking, I'm going to kill him. Like, you can tell when he pisses Lad off. Because at first, he does, he, because, like, he's, he's trying to make him, like, a ploy of, like, hey, so I want you to kill everybody. I'll get something out of it, and you'll get something out of it, too. And, like, even Lad's lackey is like, he was making you a good deal, boss. But where he, where he makes the mistake is that he, in his negotiation with them, he does that thing that you, you will see kids do in media a lot, where, like, when a kid does get, like, a good plan or an idea they they suddenly are like okay oh, okay adult now i have the upper hand and i'm gonna make a deal that's so good you can't say no to me so now i have control of the situation and it's the moment that chez starts talking like that that lad just you can see it in his face like the way the animation the acting on his face works you can see that exact moment and like 
that I absolutely love about that moment. For, for a moment that ends with a child getting shot in the face, I do love this moment where you just can read Lad and you just know exactly how it's going to play out, even though you do already know how it's going to play out since it's one of the first images the show actually straight up shows you. Yeah. While um, you were while you were talking about that, I'm just staring at this picture of Bill Gates that I posted <laughs> in that Discord. And you were like, yeah, you know, he's he really wants to shoot a child in the face. And I'm like looking at Bill Gates and I'm like, mm, that is the face of a man who, who wants to shoot a child in the face. He's got some skeletons in his Xbox, that's for sure. Yeah, I think he <laughs> got some uh yeah, some skeletons in that hamburger bill. Um, um so I think for me, um I agree like the first genre label that I would put on this show is comedy. Mm-hmm. Um I do think it's a comedy, like primarily, um, for like a number of reasons, which you know, you both have gone have gone through like just now, and then also we talked about last time. Um, I I also feel like, as a comedy, it is still like grappling with these themes in a way that's like framed not as like, oh, this is like austere um, and like, you know, serious, but like within, you know, that is like philosophically informed by the fact that it's a comedy that we are still getting like a treatment of some of these themes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the subject that you brought up, Neve, all of these like anime sicko characters, the way that they just like proliferate throughout the show um i agree is like a is a comedic device um and it is like engaged with like like formal tropes like specifically like anime and like shonen anime um but then also like going back to episode one which is this like question about like the archetype of the hero that ties into like these larger questions about like narrative and and so on and so forth. Um, I think one of the things that's happening is like, we get all of these different, like quote unquote hero characters or just like iterations of like typical heroes that you might expect in like an anime of this kind. But they're all like, skewed in this way to create like this uncanny or like distancing like to just create this level of like uncomfortability with like the character's derangement because all of them and again there's like gradations so you have like isaac and jacuzzi and claire and firo and even lad like i noticed in this um like series of episodes Especially, like, for example, the Lua thing, like, jumping off the train to save her, quote-unquote. He takes on, like, these heroic affects and, like, postures that are, like, typical, yes, of a villain, but also of, like, an anime hero. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of these characters we see doing, like, this horrific violence. Um, And their, like, justifications for doing it are all varying. um, But they're all, like 
somehow like skewed or deranged in a way that is like makes an identification like uncomfortable. Like even Jacuzzi has this like, oh, you know, when I get angry, I just go crazy and like yeah. go kill a bunch of people. And he's on like the, you know, probably the most like closest to um, this like traditional or maybe like Firo is. Yeah. Um, but then I you mean, have don't like, forget that Jacuzzi gets the immortal line. What is it? Um, I have a gun in my heart. Yeah, I've got a gun in my heart, I believe. The classic yes. shonen hero line. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but then like running like, you know, running the gamut all the way to like Lad and then Claire. Um, Claire like being kind of, I think, making this especially clear. Um like by being introduced later on in this series and then being like, Oh, okay, here's a guy who grinds people's faces off like on train tracks and is like clearly an extreme statist. Yeah. Um, but then is also then like being the... positioned as, as this hero and has these heroic like affects that yeah, are like he recognizable. Has that, like, that like, he's like the bandit style hero who has like the internal code of like, you know, for a lot of them, it's like, Oh, no women and kids, but that's not like, Claire's version, but that's like a, a classic example. But mm. of like, oh yeah, he has this internal logic of like who deserves it and who doesn't. Um, yeah, and like also combined with this like extreme solipsism, <laughs> where he's like when yeah. he's monologuing on top of the train, where he's basically just like you know has this like deranged egoism that is almost tantamount to like uh, to lads. Um, you know, in terms of like just a total disregard, um, of like other human life. Uh, but you know, for him, like, he's like, oh, well, I'm choosing to like pity people because I'm strong, but I'm also just like, I think I'm the only like being that exists. And like, I, you know, like ha having this like extremely, uh, like morally problematic, like worldview that leads him into all of this like sadism and violence. And I think I mean, like one of the things that's happening with the show is like, it is making the audience like it's destabilizing this like role and this archetype by first of all, like just doing this like ridiculous concatenation of iterations. Um, like, like, uh, metafictionally drawing the audience's attention to it by being like, Oh, who's the hero. And then doing this like ridiculous, like, you know, concatenation of just like introducing guy after guy to a point where it's like comedic and ridiculous. Um, but then having all of these like characters be like drawing these parallels between their like instability and their violence in a way that is like, um, like breaking an identification um, and like encouraging like a critical view um, and like a distancing between the audience yeah. and like, well, and these and characters. I, I think it's, I think it's often in this mode of like satire or parody as well. Like, absolutely. I think satire in particular would be like the word that I would use here where, um, and I, I think this is an important distinction because I think it is, it is specifically like 
talking about and critiquing and making jokes around how the hero is constructed in shonen anime. Um, which, like, obviously extends out to, like, the hero as defined in shonen anime does not exist in a vacuum and is informed right. by the way that, like, heroes defined more broadly in culture. But I think it is specifically engaging with shonen anime hero protagonists and doing things that are, and, like, other tropes of shonen anime and being very satirical about that. Um, and I, and I think that was part of the, like, the reframing that I needed in my head was realizing that this is a joke about shonen anime, which is also a thing that maybe took me slightly longer to, to get to because, um, I feel like my, compared to the, like, average anime viewer's diet, my diet of shonen anime is probably lower. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And especially from, like, this era. Like, a lot of the shonen anime stuff that I'm a little bit more familiar with is earlier stuff. Um, But even, like, outside of that, I just still have more, like, shoujo or stuff that's either, like, seinen or in that, like, bridging zone, Um, which is a little bit different than, like, I think that this is specifically coming out in like a world where stuff like Gundam Seed and Naruto and things like that exist and like Bleach and things. And I haven't watched Naruto. I haven't watched Bleach. And I'm just now watching Gundam Seed along with the great Gundam project. And like realizing that like uh, Firo and Jacuzzi are, I love them so much more, but that are kind of like, Kira Yamato style stuff of like, or, you know, Claire even like, oh, I'm so like brooding uh, is a big thing with like uh, Kira in Seed. Um, like contextualizing in that helped me understand a little bit more what it is doing because um, it's not the, the way that this is structured, like led me to believe that it was more engaged with perhaps like broader definitions of hero that would include like the way that hero is defined in American Westerns because it is pulling from that stylistically. But I think in terms of what it is actually talking about, it is more of this like uh, current at the time shonen anime hero stuff. And I think it's all working within that. And this, this is just like part of this is significant to me because I think some of how it is resolving things are specifically talking about shonen anime stuff as well, where in the way that satire will often critique things, but like also in doing so kind of replicate aspects of it, mm-hmm. it still kind of ends with like the shonen thing of, Oh, there's just a the person that like inspires like friendship and love and hope in people. And that is like almost in a way the, um, it, it is, really inviting you to roll your eyes at the uh, Elmer who's like, you should just smile more (laughs) while also being like, but Isaac is a person who, instead of just telling people to smile more is going to make them smile more. And people do just need to smile more. Um, And that's a thing that like we can, you know, we can talk about how much that's complicated as well, but I, it, like, I think it is still replicating some of these modes of Shonen where episode 13 in particular is a very feel-good episode about, like, like the other thing I joked is Chaz has been, waking, uh, has been waiting uh, centuries to just have someone call him a good boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was and that's all I like, could think of watching that episode. <laughs> yeah, and, this, and that's such a, like, um, Shonen anime thing to be like, here's this, like totally fucked up 
edgy, dark, twisted person, but they just need someone to see the humanity in them, and that's like going to change things. This is the redemption um, arc. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it's all of it is operating in this jokey format, but I think that I still think that the show fundamentally, in the end, has some belief that like you just need people to like recognize the humanity in other people, and that mm-hmm. is going to like address the anime sicko part. Um, is to have the, is to actually have the like optimistic, hopeful, find what's good in everyone part of Shonen anime. That is like what can balance out the anime sicko part. Um, and so like, I think it is critiquing and, and, um, playing with a lot of these tropes. And yet I don't think that the end takeaway is something that is radically different than a lot of Shonen anime. Uh, it's just coming at it in a way that feels a little bit more, um, one is just more entertaining for me to watch. And that I think that there is like, because it is playing with it, it feels a little bit more genuine when it does try to arrive at like, but also Isaac and Miria help people see the humanity in themselves. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, and I think you can arrive at it where I'm uh, able to like in the laughing, believe it a little bit more than in some shonen anime stuff I've seen. Yeah, I was I was thinking about kind of how like um, I know we we spent a lot of time talking about what we kind of perceived as being uh, themes of the shows and theses and stuff in the first half of the show, and I definitely feel like uh, no pun intended, it kind of changes tracks on a lot of that stuff in the second half of the show, or what's to be more accurate here, honestly, the final act of the show and the OVA, but I definitely think that like that the show's like definition of like a search for humanity like that definitely is something that kind of like comes to color it and like just thinking about like uh how often too like they'll have these dichotomies of like showing one type of extreme uh one type of extreme uh belief i guess and then like juxtaposing that besides like another extreme belief or somebody who actually carries out those actions where like claire's and like claire and lad's uh worldviews are kind of cut from the same cloth but while lad is entering a space in which he wants to disrupt everybody's worldview. Uh, Claire sees it as like, mine is the only worldview that exists. So I'm being grace. I'm being graceful by allowing other, the illusion of others worldviews to exist. Something that you can't comprehend because I'm graceful enough to realize that I can do this. Or like we were talking about, like with Elmer's like, Oh, just smile, please mentality, as opposed to actually Isaac and Miria <laughs> doing the things that make people smile or help them find their humanity or, or Chez's Chez's search for, Chez's search for his lost humanity compared to, like, um, Ennis's, like, ultimate arrival at her own humanity when she never had one to begin with. And, like, I, I, I mean, that definitely is sort of, like, a great place for, like, the show to kind of arrive at. Um, I do kind of wish some of the conclusions were a little bit more, like, uh, tighter together at this point. Um, the ultimate conclusion about the who is the main character thing, that is a conclusion that comes in the OVA, not actually at the end of the show, which kind of feels like a weird place to put it, especially with the conclusion that it does ultimately um, arrive at, which, like, for a second, for a second, it feels like it is actually continuing to make some sort of commentary on um, the nature of shonen stories and how, like, and how, like, is it is it really satisfying to see a search for humanity go on forever and ever and ever? Like, because, like, we get the vice president and... Um, and uh, what's what's the little girl's name again? Uh, Carol. Uh, Carol. Carol. Yes, we get the vice president and Carol just kind of revisiting the question of like, who do you think is the main character? And then he asks her like, why do you think uh, 
why do you ultimately think the story has no end? And like Carol's response is basically like, oh, because then you could just basically just keep telling stories forever. And that's good because you make money off of that, right? <laughs> and the vice president is like, that's half true. But in reality, it's just fun to imagine what could happen next, which I don't know how that's entirely different from that concept. And I kind of hope they were arriving more at like a concept about like, the thing about a search for humanity is that like, it doesn't just end like it does. It does go on. Like the thing about characters is that when the character reaches the end of an arc, a character doesn't cease being a character. They do continue to grow and stuff. We just may no longer be privy to seeing into that window, or maybe we are, but the character, the character story ends for you when the story ends, but for them, it will go on forever. And Maybe that is what's kind of intended by the the suggestion of, like, it's fun to imagine where their stories could go. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to kind of, like, go back to the uh, novel version of Bacchano and kind of see if it feels like read it under this lens of reading it as like a critique of uh, the show of show and story tropes between manga and anime. Or if that's maybe something to kind of bring more to it as as an as an anime to kind of give the anime much more of like a thesis or a point or a place to e- to eventually go since it's not going to go anywhere near as long as the as the light novels do there's not as much room to play so it having an ultimate thesis is really important to it as standing alone as like a singular uh work singular work of art yeah so i so i didn't watch the ova but it, it's interesting to me that you said that um well the, the, the ova would be the last did you watch um what uh 14, 14 15 16 14. oh okay all right uh, yeah, i was confused because you... the three gram specter episodes are the ova basically okay yeah. got it so because i was confused when you said that the question of like who the hero is is somewhat resolved in the ova yeah that's what i was talking about because like the show the show ends with uh the show i guess theoretically ends with like the party and like isaac and Miria's happy birthday speech like that's technically where the show quote-unquote ends but then like the ova as an extended thing actually has the conclusion for the whole damn thing which is like this is odd that this is here and not at the end of um episode what, what would that be 12 no 13 13 yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was surprised that was not at the end of episode 13 but instead at the end of the ova but that is also sometimes how ovas go did you so did you feel like um in the ova that there is like a one character positioned as the main character or that like the final answer is like oh that there isn't one and it's uh, all just about like these potential like these characters being like potentialities like open-ended i mean the ova definitely kind of seems to, only really kind of cares about like a couple characters here specifically uh graham specter which to who they they love graham specter <laughs> they got graham yeah, specter that's, graham specter is the main character of the of the show i um, think that's graham like, you get Graham Spector, you get a better window into what uh, Jacuzzi and um, Nieces kind of, I would call it domestic life is kind of like, which is actually really, really nice to see. Um, I feel like there was one more too. Oh, of course, um, Claire Stanfield basically returning to America to meet uh, Shanae and learn how to talk to girls. And I guess also like the it, like a lot of internal monologue from Shanae, which was not really present in the main meat of the main show. So like... You could probably kind of count Shane and um, Claire maybe kind of as a unit of characters for the purposes of the OVA, but like I- I'd say like definitely like Claire Graham and Claire Graham and Jacuzzi are definitely kind of like 
take very much main character status in in those OVA episodes. Like it, it does kind of create like a very small arc about them and just them for three episodes. That's just separate from the whole flying pussy fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Jacuzzi in particular arises as the most like obvious shonen protagonist here. Um, as the one who like, we see the backstory of how he got his tattoo, which was to get like a ridiculous tattoo that people would notice so that his face would also be like distinctive and people would stare at it and not just, uh, niece after her accident. Um, and then you get him like going to confront, um, when, Graham. uh, Graham kidnaps, uh, Chanae and then like, you know, going to sacrifice so, like, himself. Yeah, and And then Claire kind of comes in as, like, almost in the... That in particular seems to be structuring him as, like, the we're not so different, you and I, (laughs) character, you know? To the, the, like, anime boy protagonist. Um, (laughs) So. Yeah. I, I feel like... I think the OVA, at least for me, is, like... Even though it is... its own arc i think it is consistent still like consistent with the way that the show is constructed overall mm-hmm. in terms of like you know it's moving on to a new arc but it's like selecting a certain number of characters and then just like putting them in this container which is this like larger plot arc um and like then expounding on some of the characters who like you know w- weren't as prominently developed in like like it, it made sense to me as like oh if this show is going to continue like we'll probably learn more about like Shanae mm-hmm. and like niece and jacuzzi's backstory here's all of these things like and then like you know what about sylvie and what about elmer and like all of these things that yeah <laughs> and like huey that weren't like like resolved or like addressed at all in the first in the main episode arc is like yeah this is just a logical like this roulette wheel that's like spinning around like it's gonna land on these people next because like you know it hasn't like touched on them yet and see yeah. that was kind of what i was saying at this at the start of the show was that like this feels like uh if there was going to be a second season of bacano this is a really truncated version of where that could have gone next because like they do leave open threads that like i said like i know are followed up in the book specifically with um lad get ending up ending up getting transferred to alcatraz which is where huey is and like there definitely is like a setup of something that's not going to get paid off here in the show of a thing where like Lad is becoming less of a uh, mafia, a mafia don, but he's becoming more of a cult leader, much to match uh, Huey's own status as essentially a cult leader. And I think that is kind of um, mechanically the purpose. Eh, mechanically, it's kind of mechanically the purpose that Graham Spector <laughs> serves is that um, you kind of see like this person who is a follower of Lad, who's not following the logic of the mafia. He's literally just like a like a street urchin who just loves his following so much and just vibes with them and sees him sees reveres him more like a god than like some sort of like criminal mob boss. Like there's this element of like, oh, is there going to be this war of like followers between Lad's devotees and Huey's devotees, and where will that go and stuff? And we'll never see how that plays out in terms of the anime, at least. But that's that's kind of where that sort of thing kind of kind of felt like it was going and getting a bit more too into like the 
the the the lives of the people from the vis with like I guess like Satan just were walking among the mortals now and checking in on Elmer and checking in on Miza and stuff and getting a little touch touch in with um Sylvie as well, which I, I forgot was the thing that happened in the show. It was really nice to get to see some more of uh, Sylvie and that she was smart enough to say like, no, I didn't want to be a teen girl forever. So I waited a bit. Then I drank it. And it's like, yeah, I waited until I got like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that was the right um, call. Do we, do we want to run through the synopses? I mean, at this point, if people haven't watched the show, they're probably like truly lost. What the fuck but, is happening? Um, it would be nice to get through it in part because I want to get to the very end, which is the funniest reveal on the entire show to me. Let's, Happens let's in like the it. last few minutes. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah. We're, we've talked about the show for like, you know, however many minutes now. Yeah. And let's let's a do a synopsis. At least. Yeah. Well, no, now let's do a synopsis in the middle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have this open, JC? Uh, yeah. I've got the list of them open that we were drawing from last time. Okay. Um, do you just want to? So I have Wait. in the the notes document you doing episode nine. Uh, yeah, I can I can uh, run through nine right quick. <clears throat> Let's go. This one is Clan. Oh goodness gracious, Claire Stanfield. God damn it, Chasey! <laughs> <laughs> I got I got I got cotton mouth. What can I say? Um, Claire Stanfield faithfully carries out the mission. Um, if you remember where we left this off last time, we just met uh, Rachel from the Daily Days, and she was just introduced as the woman. As, she was, she was, we've been seeing her the whole time as a woman of fatigues, and she had been introduced as Rachel, who was working as an agent for the Daily Days, and it was like, oh, well, she's got the whole account, which was like a really good like cliffhanger for the for the first half of the show. So like jumping right in that with nine. In 1932, the woman in fatigues, revealed to be named Rachel, reports what she saw aboard the train to the Daily Day's director. In 1931, Lad discovers the bodies of the, in the conductor's car and recognizes one of them as his friend Dune, the redhead who killed the retiring conductor. So, like, in that Played first episode... Played by Sting. What's up? <laughs> Played by Sting. <laughs> Played by... Sting. A little redhead Dune joke Timothee for you all. Chalamet. <laughs> Tim- oh my gosh there would absolutely be a character in the show named timothee chalomet like that's exactly how it'd be written too um oh man if they were they, they, you think he could play a good jacuzzi splat he really had like a good like so like, if they boy if, man body for a jacuzzi if he talked if they <laughs> if they made this as a live action what would happen is he should play jacuzzi splat but they would cast him as claire claire stanfield Oh my yeah. god, you're right. They would. You're, you're they would right. suck. They would dye his hair strawberry red and make him play Claire. <laughs> um, hours before, the older conductor holds the young redheaded conductor at gunpoint, so a scene we see in the very first episode. However, the young conductor is able to take the gun and shoot and kill him. Dune walks in, and the conductor, unable to obtain any information on him, decides to torture Dune. He dangles Dune below the train and drags Dune's arm along the track, learning that the Russos and Lemures have hijacked the train. Um, what's funny about the way that uh, Claire uh, does this torture thing to Dune? Um, now that we've met Claire and we've seen his true like identity, we see that this is kind of like his go-to method for getting information from people is just hanging them off the back of a train to the point that in the OVA at some point he just needs a, he needs information about where Shawnee is and he just he, like, takes the, the guy to a train. <laughs> it's like where's the closest train in the city and just hangs him off the back um, of the train in the exact same way. <laughs> yeah, uh, this also becomes funny with a, a later part, but um, I'll bring it up when we get there. 
Um, as he covers his face in blood, he assumes the identity of the Rail Tracer. Later, Lad plans to kill the Lemires and whoever killed Dune. At the Daily Days, the director concludes that the Rail Tracer was a conductor, and the conductor was Vino. He explained that Vino's true identity is Claire Stanfield, adoptive brother of the Gandors. Um, I guess that's already going to it here, but yeah, like... Basically, he's revealed at this point to be like, yes, there is basically a fourth secret Gandor brother who is an adoptive brother who they took under their arm. The Gandor family took under their wings when, like, the Gandor triplets were boys. And, like, and basically, like, Claire grows up to be an assassin for the Gandor family. But at some point, he does run away from home and he joins the circus. So where he then learns how to be an acrobat, which is where like all his crazy acrobatic skills come from. And just like along the way too, he also just falls in love with being like a railway conductor and just, I guess, kind of just like moonlights as a railway conductor for a while. It's It's not necessarily like he's missing. He just leaves the Gandor family and just becomes a, 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 a circus a circus performer slash railway conductor for a couple of years. It's, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty wild. Um, Rachel confirms that Claire made contact with the Gandor brothers. After the train arrives in New York, the brothers meet Claire outside the station. He informs them that after he finishes their job, he has to track down his potential wife, Shanae. In 1930, Zillard learns that the elixir is with the Gandors and the partially immortal Dallas. Wait, wait. Z- Zillard learns that the elixir is with the Gandors and has the partially, partially immortal Dallas retrieve it. Um, on the pussyfoot, Goose kidnaps Mary, gaining the upper hand over Senator Birium. In 1930, Dallas kills Gandor members and reclaims the elixir. Back on the pussyfoot, Chesla asks Lad to kill the passengers in the dining car. As Lad expresses his disbelief, Claire watches from the shadows. Dun, 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 dun. I dun. wonder what might happen in this exchange. <laughs> yeah. Um, episode 10. Chesla Meyer is forced to rework his tremble before the specter of immortals strategy. In 1931, <laughs> at a Newfoundland prison... Senator Birium visits Huey Laforet in an attempt to stop the Lemures. Huey assures Birium that Shanae, his daughter, is aboard the train and is loyal to him. Huey telepathically contacts Shanae, uh, also completely unexplained. Yeah, there's, t- um, there's telepathy in Bacchano now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, who, Shanae, is already aware that the Lemures plan to kill her. Meanwhile, Chesla attempts to bribe Lad into killing the passengers intending to discover the identity of the other immortal by examining the corpses. Instead, Lad, annoyed by Cheslaw's attitude, kills him. In 1932, Gustavo learns about Eve's escape. Outside, Eve is rescued by Elion and learns that the Gandors are connected to Dallas's disappearance. She immediately leaves for their headquarters. In 1930, Isaac and Miria are planning to rob the Gandor family. They see Dallas with the elixir and steal it from him. In 1932, Eve asks the Gandors about Dallas and is interrupted by Gustavo. On the pussyfoot, Lad finds Shanae on the train's roof and attacks her. Nice and Nick are distracted by their fight and are captured by the, by the Lemures. At the Gandor headquarters, Gustavo kills the Gandor brothers. However, they revive and beat him, to the shock of all present. In 1930, Isaac and Miria are disappointed upon finding that they have stolen what they believe to be alcohol instead of money and decide to rob the Martillo family. They visit the Martillo family speakeasy, unaware that Annis is following them. (laughs) At the back of the speakeasy, Isaac is nearly shot by the celebratory gunshot for Firo's inauguration. The pair are greeted by Firo and Liza, with 
with both parties recognizing each other from their earlier encounter at the hat shop. Um, um, I did can... not read this as Isaac being nearly shot. I thought that he was shot in the head, but was already immortal because they drank some of it. I think I yeah. think that was like the show, like yeah. basically lying to us about like at what point they were immortal. Because like that's the thing is like by this point you're like, but they're not immortal, mortal. But like Isaac has clearly walked to this closet with a bunch <laughs> of bullet holes on the bottom of the floor, and he's putting his face up to them, and it's like, but he's he would get shot and killed at this point. <laughs> So like I, like I I love them in the speakeasy so much like um them coming in and basically doing like an anime comedy shtick of like we got to find where the money is stashed but then we see it from um what is it we see it from uh, Ennis's perspective and we just see them running around tables <laughs> and pointing and moving to different rooms as they're looking for like the Martillo family stash it's great yeah, classic Isaac and Miria fashion. Um, there's also the great part. I think this happens in the next episode, but we're, we're so throughout this, they're dressed up as a priest and a nun. Um, and Oh, Firo sees they're... them. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, Oh, I didn't know you were a father and a sister. <laughs> um, um, so side note, just interjecting because I'll, I'll like, I was thinking about the entire time as I was doing the synopsis. I don't, I don't know. Like, question for, for listeners. I don't know, like, if our listeners, like, find it useful when we do, like, the synopses, if if that's enjoyable and or useful. Because, like, I don't yeah. know, you know. I just don't know. So, like, you know, let us know. Um, but also, like, regardless of the answer to that question, as we're going through these synopses, I'm just like, if you didn't, like watch the show or you don't remember it and we're just like reading these synopses to you there's no fucking way like these don't make any sense (laughs) like they just don't as like if you're coming to them with no without watching the show like and i just read this off to you it makes zero sense (laughs) like learning how to read bakano as a show is kind of like learning another language where at first you just don't know what to make of jumping back and forth through time and back and forth across characters. But by this point in the show, like you've seen the theme song about a dozen times and you know the characters' names before they even show up on screen. And you even you're even like, I know these characters' personalities so well, I understand what they're doing in these shots. And the theme song now, like the only character who is like I name I think I could not remember no matter what until seeing it here is uh Gustavo, who I think yes. I always get mixed up with being um Burgo luck and it's like no these are yeah. two different characters from two different mafia families like opposing mafia families even yeah i was reading this i was reading the sentence about like gustavo learning about eve's escape and i'm just like who the fuck is gustavo even and it's just like yeah. i didn't remember until like two sentences later and only because of like you know the context clues of like oh yeah yeah i remember this like you know sequence and oh yeah it's that guy you know also also too uh very weirdly something i made note of in my notes is there is a very 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 minor character who just seems to kind of be a little recurring for the rest of the show in the speakeasy um an employee named uh leah i think her name is who seems to be identified much like meryl and melica solid by the specific waggle of her butt that seems to be her specific identifying character (laughs) feature and i was like this is interesting that the show decides this is important <laughs> enough to make this like her one defining feature but you know what i guess whatever makes the character memorable bakano you do you <laughs> is this the character in like the red dress 
Uh, yeah, the one that's kind of <laughs> yeah. like she's the one that shows up the most. I guess she you could probably assume that she's probably like the main host of the speakeasy because like as soon as you meet her, there's a shot where it's like, oh, I, is this supposed to be framed like this? And then like later <laughs> on in a later episode, there was just a scene that's very clearly just her kind of doing like a waggle of sorts, and it's like, oh no, that that was intentional. Okay, gotcha. Show cool, yeah. cool. <laughs> Um, I think I think it's uh, Chang Sam that she's wearing the like um, Manchu ethnic outfit that is yeah, kind of associated yeah. with um, this like style of hostess and in, in a lot of stuff. Um, now the other thing I I noticed here too is like I think some of it is you get better at like just following the characters and. Um, getting more familiar with how it's going to like jump back and forth through the stories. I also think by the time you get here, it's pretty clear, like, okay, there's like three main storylines that we're just like jumping back and forth between, Mm -hmm. um, where sometimes it will still like skip around, especially on the train between stuff. Uh, but for the most part, it's just like, okay, we're on the pussy foot. Okay. We're like at this thing that's happening where it's all starting to converge on this, like, uh, you know, speakeasy, those sorts of things. Like all of it starts feeling really, um, you don't need the, what year it is anymore because you're just like, okay, I know we're continuing this plot line now. Um, in a way that earlier it felt like sometimes it was just like, whoa, there's some other random thing suddenly happening. And it, it like settles into a more easy groove, I think as well. Uh, oh, I'm looking at my notes for this episode and something else I really like from this one is, um, I think very key about Isaac and Miru's relationship is that um, Isaac is an idiot and also a chronic liar to the point that I think it's arguable that he probably never really tells Miria the truth and Miria just goes with it. And sometimes he'll call it out, him out on it and he'll adjust his version of the truth to fit the information he's been given. And I think that even extends right up to um, Miria thinking Isaac got shot to which she asks, um, what is it? It's like, uh, Isaac, I, I thought you were dead. And he's like, well probably someday that's a lie he will never die (laughs) which Um, like paradoxically yeah yeah like you (laughs) know is the truth or whatever um yeah i think there's like i i do want to talk about isaac and miria um i want to like circle back to one of the conversations that we were having a bit earlier about this like treatment of existentialism it, to you know put it into to summarize it um but we'll we'll go through the synopses first and then maybe get around to that yeah uh so episode 11 uh Shanae Laferre remains silent in the face of two mysterious people in 1930 Isaac and Miria are invited to celebrate Firo's inauguration with the Gandors and the Martillos during the celebration, Firo privately asks Misa about his instantaneous recovery, although Misa hesitates to tell him. Firo notices Ennis and chases her to return her button. Atop the pussyfoot, Shanae fights Lad while the Lemires receive orders to shoot both, if possible. Shanae uh, and Lad are separated, and Lad learns about the orders to shoot him. He then extors information about Shanae as well as Huey uh, from the Lemires. Meanwhile, Cheslov attempts to formulate a new plan in one of the passenger cars. When Claire finds him and asks him about his immortality, Cheslov initially lies, but eventually admits the, the truth. The two attempt to unnerve one another, but Claire finally scares Cheslov and tears his limbs apart using the uh, tracks as Rachel watches in horror. 
Um, this is the funniest part to me because uh, Chaz is like, <laughs> oh, is it? I was tortured for a thousand years by my older brother, um, and uh, this like totally mortal guy who mostly just knows train based forms of torture is like, you've never met the matches of me. I'm gonna push. I'm gonna like tear your limbs off on a track, and I'm like, I just. <laughs> like this is the part where I just knew that this is like a joke. <laughs> um, cause it's just so funny to me to be like, I bit your fingers off, bet your brother never did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, a great line from, uh, the, the street to video sequel to Aladdin, the return Jafar in which uh, Jafar says, <laughs> you'd be surprised what you can live through. <laughs> that is, that is a deep cut. <laughs> that i would i would never expect from anyone else but you jc that's the, um, that's the lane ideal and <laughs> anyway uh shanae and lad begin their fight anew but are interrupted by claire claire explains his ideology to lad who becomes infuriated uh they do have like the most opposing where where claire's like i'm just so good at not being killed that i'm essentially immortal and like just get to choose who gets to live in my world and not um and lad's like you're so sure that you won't die. So I want to kill you. It just you gets even me more so now. hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the OTP of the show, Claire and lad. Um, <laughs> you think there's an AMV somewhere out there of Claire and lad fighting? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Um, in 1930, Misa re-enters the speakeasy to find Zillard waiting. Zillard kills some of the Martillos to threaten Misa. Uh, Firo attempts to intervene, but is stopped by Ennis, who tells him he will die in vain. Well, the Ganders move to investigate the gunshots. Um, Ennis tells Firo that she is a hom- homunculus, an artificially created human, and that she lives and dies at the will of Zillard, who she describes as her father. Uh, Firo denies that someone like Zillard could be Ennis's father, telling her that she is beautiful before the pair are cornered by Dallas and his gang. On board the Pussyfoot, Jacuzzi secures the dining car. In 1932, Don Runarata enters the Gander headquarters looking for Dallas. Uh, this is the point at which I'm going, I don't care where Dallas is anymore, just keep giving me more of the robot girl learning to love. <laughs> Um, I love the explanation, too, of, I guess, how Zillard has made Ennis, which seems to be that he took he, he created a homunculus out of his own selves, and that inexplicably, he has the ability to control the, uh, the um, chromosomes in his cells and his genes in the homunculus he made to basically make, I guess, a second him who is female, who is Ennis? Is that what is that kind of what I, what you what, what y'all were getting? Like that's kind of what I got yeah. from an explanation. It said it said something like my memory of it is like Ennis saying something to the effect of like he can control like his immortal cells in my body and separate them from my female cells, which like okay, how I don't know if this like fiction is um, is well like is fleshed out enough to yeah. uh, the the thing is we're gonna yeah. get to the funniest reveal in the entire series to me, which happens at the very end of the OVA, um, and then when we get to that, I'm going to explain something that I don't even know if you've read the books that these are in, but I I looked it up to confirm the wild thing that it just seemed to say ha- is like. <laughs> 
<laughs> the final reveal of the series um, and found out even more about that character that ties into like how homunculi work. Um, but yeah. Oh, good. Uh, JC, JC, do you want to do episode 12? Yeah, of course. It, which, by the way, looking ahead past Bacchino, um at this point, since we know the Eternal, uh, fun fact, uh, Isaac and Miria actually do show up in Durabara. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> um, so we're at episode 12. Thero and the three Gandor brothers are felled by assassin's bullets. Rachel explains that she received her injuries rescuing Natalie, Mary, Nice, and Nick from the, the mirrors on the Flying Pussyfoot. In 1931, on the Pussyfoot, Jacuzzi searches for Nice alone. In 1930, the Gandors kill Dallas and his gang, rescuing Thero and Ennis. However, Dallas and his gang recover and kill the five of them. If you remember, in the first half of the show, near the very end of the first half, um, Zillard captured Dallas as the thugs who took his um, his elixir, and he injected them with a partial version of the elixir, which keeps them immortal, but they will age. So this is, the, this is his way of basically giving them the power to go and act on his behalf, but also the control to consume them should they step out of line. Um, Miza attempts to run, and Zillard follows, only to be hit by a car <laughs> driven by Isaac and Miria. <laughs> and a perfect twist so of irony. Funny. We um, see this this scene many, many times, and I laughed every single time he gets hit by the, his own car being driven by Isaac and Miria. Uh, do Isaac and Miria know how to drive? I don't know if Isaac they, they knows don't how to actually to drive. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, uh, <laughs> Underneath the pussyfoot, Chesla believes what, what Claire did to him is punishment for devouring Ferment, another immortal who tortured him. Isaac and Miria attempt to rescue him, but he discovers they are immortal after seeing a cut on Isaac's wrists. He instantly heal and panics, thinking that they mean to eat him. Um, so, wait a minute. So, I'm just trying to think about this logically. So, at this point, Chesla, Isaac, and Miria should be the only immortals on the car. So, that's who... Chez was like reacting to at the start of the show when he used his real name. Yes, like that's a conclusion, correct? I think so. I yes. Think so. Yeah, I think that's what is like revealed. Yeah, I, I can't mm. think of. Yeah, they would be. Yeah, they should be the only immortals on the train. Cool, cool. Um, all three of them fall off the train after Cheslov frantically swats away Isaac's attempt to save him on the train's roof. Claire ties Lua to a mail hook, causing Lad to jump off the train and save her, only to find Claire used a slip knot. Um, I'm going to explain this like a little bit more clearly than it kind of does here. But as basically like Lad and Claire exchanging both blows and philosophies, like Claire starts to kind of like pick at Lad about his relationship with Lua and how he insists, no, not insists, commands that he will be the only one to kill her. Uh, I guess the way that killing worked. Well, not in Bacchino, I guess. He commands <laughs> that he will be the only one to kill Lua. And so uh, at that point, Lua basically climbs up to the train to be like, Lad, get back in the train. This is ridiculous ridiculous and claire just runs over grabs claire and is like ah well uh, you're gonna jump from this train he's like are you sure about that it's like pretty sure and he ties he ties what seems to be a noose around claire's head uh around lua's head claire ties a noose around lua's head throws it off the train throws lua from the train and lad throws himself from the train in an attempt to save lua but she would have been fine because he made a fake noose a, a slipknot if you will um Nice and Nick try to climb to the roof, but are confronted by Goose. This is one of the Lemire uh, followers, like basically the leader of the Lemires leading this, this the, their assault on the train. Jacuzzi attacks and draws Goose away, allowing Nice and Nick to escape. Goose attacks Jacuzzi with a flamethrower while his another, another moment of just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, wow, yeah. 
like uh, so, somehow just I think this jumping the shark type moment. Like, well, and also throughout this, uh, Jacuzzi has the last bomb that Nice had on her, which uh, she keeps in the eye socket because uh, she has a eye patch on. Um, and throughout it, he's like. I- I don't have like matches. What am I going to find to light this bomb? And I'm like, the man is shooting a flamethrower at you. Um, I was just really hoping there was going to be a part where he would like throw it and like perfectly nail it into the barrel of the flamethrower. So then when he would try to do the flamethrower, it would explode. I've but seen no, this like a it, dozen times and that's what I was waiting for to happen. Yeah. I was like, that's what happens, right? <laughs> like that's in line with this show and like how ridiculous the heights of bringing out a flamethrower on a train, a flamethrower and a gun that's on his fist that he like literally explains as there's a gun on my fist and the gun shoots when I make a fist and punch my fist. And it's like, ha <laughs> All right, <Yeah>. fuck. <laughs> um, Goose attacks Jacuzzi with the flamethrower while his men are stopped in the passenger. While his men are stopped by the passengers in the dining car, who have stolen and armed themselves with the Lemire's guns. Isaac, Miria, and Chesla are momentarily rescued by Rachel, who grabs the rope Isaac is holding onto, but she is unable to hang on due to the weight and her injury. Claire takes the rope, and and upon encountering Donnie, the 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 Mexican giant that works with um. With ice, with a uh, jacuzzi, jacuzzi. In them. Um, he, he takes the rope and, and and encounters Donnie and instructs him to save them. He's just like, "Hey, here, take this rope. Hold on. There's two. I don't know about that kid on there, but there's some really good people on the other end of that rope." And so, like, Donnie pulls them up and swings them over and around the top of the train. Like, the jazz is just going crazy. I get married screaming. Uh, jacuzzi's getting chased around <laughs> with a with a flamethrower at this point. All the hostages are armed with guns. This is definitely kind of like the emotion like the emotional apex of the entire pussyfoot thing that's absolutely where they're kind of going with this um meanwhile back in 1930 zillard orders ennis to kill isaac and miria while he cripples misa um i think the synopsis didn't also bring this up but part of uh ennis's uh status as a homunculus is that misa possesses the uh ability to basically kill ennis with merely a thought so he can kill her zillard yeah sorry yeah Yeah. sorry sorry zillard zillard can kill her at any moment with the thought just as the person who controls her so like that's part of the ways and that's part of the way in which he is able to exert control or i guess a safety measure uh against uh ennis yeah that is episode 12 i think this episode had the most extreme like anime physics that i have seen in like (laughs) a while just the whole like sequence with rachel like isaac miria and chess being like well like flying behind the train on this rope and like flying off to the side like not hanging on like completely just like detached and floating in midair and then like rachel just like grabbing the rope with all of their momentum just like you know, however fast this train is going, like them, you know, like all of this momentum and just grabbing the rope and like having it just like holding them and not just getting her arm ripped off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Donnie, yeah. like, you know, pulling them in. Um, oh, the, well, the animation on Donnie pulling that rope is so good, too. It's a really good <laughs> shot of him pulling that rope. And, and also then also the Lad tr- punching at Water Tower. And, <laughs> and like, also Supermaning uh, off the train. Yeah. And also the train moving so fast that the rope will extend straight behind rather than drag them along the ground, killing them in the same way that, that Claire loves to torture and kill people. Um, 
but also despite going that fast they are not being like similarly buffeted and hurt by the wind it's just ridiculous yeah and the force of like the train going that fast and then like you know yeah the wind drag and then like the differential of like the train pulling them and then them just like having to afford momentum or whatever like someone being able to just like hold them hold the rope while they're flying by (laughs) flying off the train and just like arrest their progress Oh, but make no mistake, in these final three episodes, there is a shitload of finger trauma. And it is at this point, too, when Lad jumps off the train to try and grab the rope to keep Lua from being choked by it. He grabs it so tight that not only does he get rope burn, his fingers basically just explode. Okay, yeah. So, side, it's just a a short tangent. Um, I was talking to Sarah, um, I think it was Thursday Thursday night, because I started, well... Yeah, it, this week. Um, and I was like, hey, like, I, w- I was really, like, jazzed up by our prior conversation. G- like, well, especially what you were saying, JC, where you were like, oh, mm. this is such a great anime to, like, show to somebody who is, like, not into anime. Mm. Um, and I always feel like, I mean, she's cool with it. She has no problem. It's, this is just me projecting, but I always feel bad whenever I'm doing like podcast prep and cause she just wants to like hang out on the couch while I do this. Um, but I'm like, you know, stopping this continuously. And also like, it doesn't, you know, I'm watching all these weird, like, you know, anime. Um, and I'm like, Oh, this must be so alienating. So I was like, Oh, Sarah, like finally we have an anime that like, I think you might like, you know? Um, Mm. And I was like, yeah. So, you know, I started watching it and uh, she was kind of like half watching, but I think it was more like 75%. I didn't realize how much she was watching. Um, and watching through these episodes, when we get to um, we get to episode 12 and this like exact scene where Lad is like <laughs> um, holding onto the rope and he's just like yelling. <laughs> his yelling just gets like progressively louder and you see the rope like running through his hand. And it just like slices off his finger, <laughs> and she's just like, "All right, I'm done." <laughs> she just like, got up and walked. Out of the room. <laughs> um, maybe it's for like serial experiments, Lane. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying. Um, yeah, but anyway, so yeah, episode twelve is like where Nana she tapped when we out. get to Nana. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there are like I have showed her stuff before that that she has liked, but yeah, um, it, it it just so happens like so far it hasn't been the stuff that we've covered on Ghost Divers. <laughs> but hey, um, episode twelve—it's still pretty far. <laughs> yeah, it was great. No, I mean, I was pumped up. I was like, yeah, you know, and yeah, I was like, wait, why didn't you like that? The dude's fingers just got sliced off. Isn't that hilarious? Um, no, but like you don't understand though. It's all about like you know the way this character is constructed, and it's really funny that he's punching a water tower right now. You ha- we have to go back and watch the first he's like, no- like the he's first like, eight. Episodes. He's like all might. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a, actually it is a really all might move how he hits that water tower because <laughs> yeah. like I think like mid like mid air he kind of does like a, like a Wario style like shoulder check and just like launches himself into it with the full force of like not only the train but his own body <laughs> yeah and then it just like it cuts to black and then you know 
we know what happens with that. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. I should have told her, like, I should have made the All, all Might connection. She really would have. Yeah. They really would have made it work for her. <laughs> she watches lots of My Hero Academia, right? Yeah, for sure. She loves it when she she yeah. she hasn't experienced like she hasn't been subjected to My Hero Academia yet because like the, the <laughs> new season not she out. Prefers the manga. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna derail. Man, it's so easy. it's so hard to talk about this without making accidental train puns. I'm not gonna derail for like My Hero talk, but like. <laughs> Uh, still, the number one thing about that show and All Might that gets me is you watch that show and immediately you're like, All Might is basically anime Superman. Got it. Understood. Get this. Cool. He's this cool American ideal of a superhero and he stands for everything that like heroes want to be in this world. Awesome. And then the very first movie, it's like, uh, Midoriya is like, hey, All Might, can you, can you tell me about like some of your teen years? It's like, sure I can. So, when I was a Japanese student on holiday in America, and I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> Before I became American. <laughs> like, that just that just broke me in the theater, him just being like, I was a Japanese student on vacation in America, and it's like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this can become... This can become a, a My Hero Academia podcast for a second. Um, yeah, my my I like My Hero Academia. Um, I think there's a I've there's watched a level like three episodes or however many we watched that the one three day that we, we watched visited. together. Yeah, yeah. It. I I think like there's a point. There's a point where you get like hooked in that first season. The first three episodes are really like. It, you're not like getting the full, the full thing yet. Um, yeah, like the, those first couple arcs are straight up perfect, and the the, the show is good. The manga is great. I, I it's one of those things where I kind of more recommend the comic over the show, but the show is still really really good. I've thought about reading the the manga just because I really want to like continue the story and not just have to wait for the anime. Um, you you should like the art the art and the layouts in that are fantastic like it's it's a really well put together comic just straight up um also too you're, we're at the point in the anime where like things are going to kind of get really kind of very slow and i have a feeling it might get too slow for the anime but it works in a manga so like it's not mm. a bad time to start reading it and yeah i might check it out it. <laughs> i think um it the thing is like it is a very good show um it's doing the anime is doing some stuff that I don't like th- there is some legitimate like fan servicey stuff that it's like seems to be doing increasingly uh, that is annoying uh, mm-hmm. but like it is it is a very well done show um, in in most respects um, anyway so episode 13 um, both the immortals and those who aren't sing the praises of life equally this like like verbiage wise that might be my favorite title for an episode that's a really good title it is and i think um it's one that is uh maybe a little more like thematically um revealing than like some of the others um but anyway in 1931 claire proposes to shanae instructing her to carve her answer into the roof and then jump into the upcoming river. Nice and Nick steal explosives from the luggage car and dump them into the river, after which Nick also jumps into the river to meet up with the rest of their gang. 
who are waiting to recover the explosives. A pool of blood appears on the roof, causing Jacuzzi and Goose to mistake it for the rail tracer. <laughs> Uh, in 1930, Isaac asks, Ennis asks Isaac and Miria not to forget about her, and turns and attacks Zillard as he is about to devour Miza. On the pussyfoot, Jacuzzi is able to push Goose off the train, causing the flamethrower's gas tank to explode when it hits the rails. Isaac and Miria attempt to protect Cheslaw from the blood, which turns out to be Cheslaw's own blood returning to his immortal body. In 1930, Zillard incapacitates Ennis intending to give her a slow and painful death. But Isaac and Miria defend her. Um, also, this is a hilarious moment <laughs> where they're, like, throwing, like, s- smoke bombs or, like, dust, just, like, dirt yeah. at him. And he's like, no, how could you possibly have, like, found my weakness? <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, completely incapacitating Zillard. Um, Zillard then discovers that Firo... The Gandors and the Martillos are still alive, having apparently consumed the elixir. Ennis tells Firo how to devour Zillard. Um, they also set him on fire. The same guys yep. who burned who burned down the warehouse. Yeah, Randy and Pedro show up. You're just kind of like, "Hey, this guy's covered in sand. Also, we're not dead. Our trick still works." And they just throw a flaming <laughs> glove at him and set him on fire. <laughs> exactly. Um, they notice that his clo- his clothing is not leather, uh, therefore uh, flammable. Um, <laughs> So while Zillard is like on fire, um, <laughs> and this tells Firo how to devour Zillard, um, and and his, his head is on fire. It's like, okay, you would have to put your hand in his head and like, what? <laughs> and Zillard's just like, like writhing on fire in the alleyway. He's specifically, his head is just entirely engulfed in flame. It's like, okay, first put on a leather glove and then your you can't, you can't burn your hand when you're wearing leather. Um, and then, Devour his soul. Got it? Um, and so Fira does that. So um, devours Zillard. In 1931, Chesla attempts to devour Isaac. But Isaac and Miria just smother him in a hug instead. Um, telling him that they you will be his good family. Boy, he cries. <laughs> yeah, he just wanted, you know, all those, you know, 200 years of trauma and murder just erased and, you know... One small affirmation. <laughs> Again, waiting centuries for somebody to call him a good boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, so Chesla, uh, he, which, you know, we are told through his internal monologue, uh, and also, you know, just his dialogue, that he had decided after his torture at Furman's hands that he could never trust anyone. Uh, he cries and, you know, is taken aback by this, like, the trust and kindness of Isaac and Miria. Um, in 1932, Luck reveals that he had Dallas cemented into a barrel, which is now at the bottom of the Hudson River, <laughs> as punishment for killing the Gandor members while he was retrieving the elixir. Eve asks Don Runarada to examine... Okay, this is actually not correct. Yeah. <laughs> um... I'm not even going to read the sentence. So, like, yeah. Don Runarada is here and is like, I'm getting Dallas's body because I want to examine him in my sci-fi laboratory that I apparently have. And Eva's like, okay, but can I, like, visit him? Um, and he's like, sure, or something. That's fine. Um, 
1931, the Pussyfoot arrives in New York. Isaac and Miria, having worried about forgetting to buy a souvenir for Ennis, present Chesla to Ennis as her new younger brother. <laughs> <laughs> as Miza and Chesla reconcile. Um... In 1930, Ronnie comments that he knew about the elixir, but did not stop anyone from drinking it. He believes that everyone will make the best of it, exactly what he expected from them in the first place. In 1931, Claire finds Shanae's response, which states that she will wait for him forever in Manhattan, um, and like to find her or whatever. He decides to find her, as she has requested, um, after fulfilling his duties to the Gandot brothers. Finally, in 2001, Isaac and Miria realize that they have not aged. I don't remember this part. Um, you don't remember this? I, I don't think so. It's, they it's, are, oh, they're like, there's like, you know, graffiti on the walls. They're in the city. Um, Isaac's got on like a, a big like Afro wig. And I forget, Miria's just got on like a, a weirdly like 70s outfit, I think. They're, they're both kind of dressed, they're both dressed really out of touch for the times, but I yeah. guess they were like that in the 30s as well. <laughs> and they just stole uh, a bunch of cell phones because like Nokia everyone, cell phones. <laughs> yeah, because everyone is, complains about how cell phones are, are ruining kids. And so they're going to uphold traditional family values by stealing all of the cell phones. Um, yeah, if they can eliminate microwaves, they'll get they'll get women ba- out of the workplace and back in the household. Damn it! <laughs> um, it's just bizarre. Um, and then they're like, "Wait a minute! Don't you get the feeling that we haven't aged at all?" <laughs> happy birthday! And then they're just like shouting, "Happy birthday!" Okay. Um, and, and the show ends yeah. like, "Happy birth! Many happy birthdays to come!" Fuck you. Know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I I, I missed that. <laughs> Um, that's really weird. Uh, I'm going to have to look into that. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> you got so- the, uh, nothing past the year 2000 cut, <laughs> yeah, <apparently>. <laughs> <laughs> which means just um, this one scene. So yeah, that's the, that's the end, right? It's the end of the series. Yeah. And then there's the OVA. <laughs> uh, I have to ask before we move on. So Y'all got the answer to what happened to Dallas Genovard, which I know at the start of the show, I pointed out that like, that's one of the major, if not actually kind of presented as the major driving mystery. Um, is this, is, did you, were, is that something you were able to kind of like piece together kind of based on like the intro and the clues you were given? Was that a satisfying like answer about what happened to Dallas? <laughs> like Neve, I know it kind of sounded like that by this point, you just stopped giving a shit about Dallas, which is yeah. very reasonable. Same. He's a human piece of shit. Everybody knows it except for Eve. I was like, he sucks. He looks exactly like luck. And I have luck here. So like, why do I need him? <laughs> I already have, I already have luck at home. Why do I need a Dallas? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, uh, if I like, if I thought about it, I could probably, you know, come up with some sort of, like, idea about, you know, how the Dallas, like, subplot is playing in to um, the themes or, like, how it's significant or whatever. But just mm. it, for my enjoyment as a viewer, I really didn't care, honestly. Yeah. The- I mean, the, the most satisfying thing about it is, like, by the time you watch that, you're like... That's what's going on with his little nameplate in the intro. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also this thing of like, okay, what's going on with the like, in the beginning, it's like, what's going on with the immortality? Um, you know, where's Dallas? Where, 
you know, what what is the rail tracer? Like these sorts of questions. And then, you know, immortality gets answered far earlier than I thought it would be. Um, and then I thought the rail tracer was going to be this big remaining like question throughout a lot of it that may never get answered. And then literally the first episode that I watched for this, I'm just like, oh, okay, that's answered. Um, and then I was like, so wait, the one remaining mystery is Dallas? <laughs> I don't Which, care like, you, anymore. You basically, I don't care. I mean, you see this intro over and over again. And like, as you're watching through a series, it's like, oh, what's this mystery with Dallas? Well, or, or where is Dallas? And it's like, okay, so we've seen them dredging the river and Eve standing there like expectantly. We see him like being drowned in the intro over and over again. And then there's this plot line where he's basically, he's pissing off every single like other character basically like <laughs> if, if and making all of these enemies and it's like okay he is like yes he ends up getting drowned and like that's where yeah. he is he's in if, he's in the river if i was getting well, here or the forest gump and the r2d2 that meet everybody and everybody loves them <laughs> Dallas is the c3po and everybody hates him <laughs> um they kind of are like yeah i mean that's a good point because they kind of are like these nexus points, both Dallas and like Isaac and Miria, and mm-hmm. they are like, yeah, like op- opposite in this way. Um, that that is interesting to think about. the The biggest thing for me is that it was just. I like no longer cared at all about it. And so it just made it extra funny of the, the final answer is just like, Oh yeah, he's immortal, but they're still mafia. So they're going to give him some concrete shoes and put him at the bottom of the, the lake or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they can basically drown for eternity, just yeah. constantly drown and be returned back to life only to drown again. <laughs> um, yeah, it just made me laugh when it was just revealed. When it became clear, oh, they're just putting concrete in a in a barrel with him in it. He's just buried in concrete, drowning forever. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm reading ahead like a little bit, and I don't think a lot of like the final images that we get in the final final episode are here. But the like the only the only follow up to this Dallas thing is that like by the time that Eve and Don Renarada do manage to dig him up from the Hudson, they find that he has uh he has escaped, escaped from his cement shoe. So like. He is gone, he is somewhere, and he is immortal, but we don't know where. What's next on Bacchino? Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, OVA, episode 14. Ooh, you get to introduce us to, to, the, <laughs> to the best anime boy, right? <laughs> uh, we got a new anime boy, Graham Spector's Love and Peace. Uh, 1932, <laughs> Graham Spector, a mechanic, is outraged because he learns that someone, Claire, seriously injured Lad. In 1929, Graham attacks Lad for, uh, for ruining a car that Graham wanted to dismantle. Although Lad wins, he spares Graham's life because he find uh, this is this synopsis is just misspelled. He he finds them alike. He says we're not so similar. We're not so dissimilar, you and I. <laughs> um, in 1931, Elmer watches Firo, Ennis, and Misa greet Isaac, Miria, and Chesla at the station, but does not talk to them. Later, Elmer visits Huey in prison. Although Elmer tries his best, he is unable to lift Huey's spirits. Uh, just turns out that walking around to everyone and saying, why don't you try smiling, doesn't work very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Huey asks him to find uh, Shanae to make her smile. 
He doubts that she will ever be happy again because of the dispassionate way he treated her when she was a child. Meanwhile, Graham plans to capture Jacuzzi and get his bounty from the Russos. Um, to draw Jacuzzi out into the open, he plans to kidnap Eve. Meanwhile, Rachel is surprised to see Cheslov alive. Uh, Cheslov recognizes her and offers to tell her everything. This is the most nothing episode. I watched this and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Nothing happened. <laughs> oh, I, mean, yeah, yeah, I just only, got a new anime sicko boy. Look, look, the, greatest, the greatest gift this episode gives us is how about a third of this episode is dedicated to everybody back at the Martillo hideout putting together a giant uh, dominoes thing. Yes. Everybody's getting into it. Fear <laughs> can't understand how people enjoy this. But um, once it's ready, they're like, are you ready to tip it over? And then uh, Miza gives this wonderfully animated, super muted thumbs up that had me like, I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> it is a great thumbs up. It is. Um, I also just love this for, for how it gets. Well, I just love the setup of them being like, what are you doing with all these dominoes? And they're just like... Have you seen Isaac and Miria? They clearly don't know how to play dominoes. They don't care about how to play dominoes. This is what you do with little kids, and they're little kids. <laughs> yeah, my, I think like my exact words are like, it's something little kids can do when they don't know the rules to dominoes. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the... I also enjoyed that aspect, just because, like, it's it's fun to get, like... Okay, you know, we have Bacchino... We have this whole, like, really violent, intense, you know, again, it's a comedy, but we have this whole, like, violent, intense plot arc with, like, this, you know, horrible villain, Zillard, and, like, blah, 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 and then they, like, you know, defeat Zillard, and they tie it off in a bow, and it's like, oh, this is the end of the series, and then, like, you just get an extra episode where it's, like, okay, yeah, what are these characters doing? Like, they just defeated the, like, villain or whatever. Let's just see these characters, like, you know, and they're all, like, reconciled and in the same place now. And, like, let's just see them, like, having a good time. Like, what are they doing? There's, like, nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, mm-hmm. just, like, they've. there's nothing left to do. Like, they're just going to chill out now. I mean, and, this like, is the 1930s well, anime version of a beach episode. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. And so there's yeah. that whole, like, one half of this episode is, like, that, which is great. Um, and then, like, the other half of the episode is basically, like, the anime thing where they're, like, oh, we have to introduce a new antagonist now. We are, like, yeah. starting a new, like, villain arc. So we well, have to just, like, awkwardly start this new arc. The other, I mean, obviously, the jumping ahead episode 16 is going to end with all of the the uh pieces falling and we see the final shape um but like also i got to this and it felt like a certain confirmation of like to some degree i think part of the the ethos of the show is like we are we are setting up all of these like different timelines and things that are like connecting across timelines and stuff but we're not playing dominoes we are setting up dominoes to watch them fall Mm. like the so much of the show is just the joy of watching everything fall into place um, and the way that they can like do jokes and have that be fun um, rather than it trying to be like this great big mind game for you, the viewer to like puzzle through is I think a thing that's kind of being commented on here. And then it's also tying into, I think this other ethos of the show of like the, you know, this is a, a show about immortals that basically says like, Hey, 
basically the way to approach life is just to like enjoy the moment that you're in and at that point it doesn't really matter if you're immortal or not um is i think like another thing the shows is kind of saying throughout this and i i felt like the dominoes kind of embody that in a way yeah it, de- it definitely is like a key moment for sure yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking about now how i really would have just been happy with an entire 20 minutes of just watching them set up and like watching all these characters just play with dominoes because like i i should like graham specter but i really just don't i mean like yeah we already have we already have two anime boys that's been their entire time on screen like monologuing and it's like lad 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 is funny so it's like i like lad and he works in he works in contrast to the rest of the cast claire works as an answer to the mystery of the rail tracer and as an antithesis to lad and being the one person that can go toe-to-toe to lad with lad there's not really a need for a third character like this at yeah. this point where like literally like most of the this episode is is him swinging a wrench around with like reuse animation just kind of getting played faster and faster um of him literally just going on and on and on and on about like his uh, what what's what you even really kind of talking about it's just kind of like his his take on Lad's philosophy, which I guess is the same as his philosophy, and his like obs- his like own obsession with the dichotomy of things and how like things can be two separate things, but also sometimes one things, much like a car. And it's just like I I, I don't know. And he he's he, got yeah. he's got like he's got like magic One Piece powers too, because like Bacchano is a really grounded show. Nothing in this show, I guess, like the most ridiculous it gets is stuff with like. Claire's gymnastics and that gets written off as like he spent a couple years as an acrobat so that's how he's able to hang off of a train by his toes like Michael Jackson like that's how he can do it that's the explanation that's it you got what you need you're good and like no one ever really has superpowers in this show like Zillard is strong because he's used years to work out Claire was a was an acrobat so he's fit Isaac and Miria are just like eternally lucky so they can swing around a train on a lasso whatever but like Graham Spector is a regular person. He is the leader of like an Oliver, like an Oliver Twist style like gang of like a street urchin boys, and like he can he can hit the ground. He has fight with Lad. He hits the ground with his wrench and makes like Dragon Ball Z style like craters appear, complete with like that eighties anime chum chum. Like it makes that sound. It has an effect, and it's like this is kind of jumping the shark because it's like no one in Bakano has portrayed this level of superhuman strength like even among the immortals like nobody has portrayed this level of superhuman strength it doesn't kind of make sense for him to have this kind of power his whole shtick is just being a kid version of lad russo which like i can maybe deal with over the course of an entire season but dedicating that to an entire episode just really feels like treading water i feel myself like looking at my watch and being like i want to get back to the dominoes i want to get to the fireworks factory uh i guess it's cool watching this mantle of car in midair and whatever but i don't know i just i really i really had a hard time liking this character and this character is kind of the heart of these ova episodes at least like the first half of them and I just was waiting for them to be done with him because I just kind of was like, I just, I, I, there's some interesting stuff here. This is not what they're interested in doing with this character. They just have him. You bought the DVDs. Congratulations. Here's an entire disc dedicated to like another, another like unstable person's monologue. Congratulations. It, you bought this. For yeah. me, it was the thing of like, 
there was stuff, especially went on, that felt more and more unrealistic with the way that things are happening. But like, there was a more gradual build, and this just felt like intentionally making fun of how it was portraying things as grounded, but stuff was getting more and more ridiculous. Um, And that he was also going to do this like long drawn out monologue about how much he loves to kill, but his doesn't even make sense as I think like the joke, like his just like, he's just saying stuff that sounds big and important, but none of it makes sense. Um, Like I, I don't, entirely believe that you can like arrive at a clear cohesive this is graham's ideology as he expresses it um he kind of he kind of just exists to almost be a parody of how they were handling that stuff in like the main series Mm -hmm. um by like turning it up even more yeah i think i agree i think it's a continuation of like like first of all i think the way that the like supernatural abilities of these various characters. And, and I, I do have to like class, like, even though they're like a very, like the barest, like minimum of like backstory is proffered to explain it. Like it it is still like, you know, there, I think it's meant to be recognized as like supernatural anime abilities. Like, with Claire and then to a lesser degree, Lad and Shanae, um, and, you know, various characters, um, that is like gradually amped up in a way that I think is part of the comedy. And then this is just like, you know, accelerating it even more to like, it's the same thing, but it's just like accelerating it even more and pushing it more into that like absurd comedic area. it is the rest is amping it up, but in this way where it has kind of been asking you to take it seriously because part of the the humor relies on you taking it seriously. And with Graham Spector, I think it like is no longer asking you to take any of his stuff seriously in the way that like it wants you to still kind of care about and take like Lad and Claire and Shanae's stuff yeah. seriously. Whereas um, like Graham is like disassembling a car and is doing this stuff that is just like clearly like you know uh, absurd and like (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes just like disconnected like from you know like divorced from this central conceit Um, completely my my most charitable read of graham is in some ways being the thing to be like in a way, too, where I could see some people really not liking the OVA if they, like... Because I've seen the way they... Before I watched this, I thought it was far more serious than it was, and I think it was part of what misled me towards um, not always reading in the comedy elements very early on. Um, and I, I think some of that is just... I hadn't seen details, but there was a way that people talked about this um, just, like, in general in anime spaces... Uh, that I could see if you think that the like entire series is like this very like deep, serious study of immortality and stuff, which again, there's stuff that I think it's, it's touching on in there. Um, but all of it is like from within this, at least to me within this like framework of satire, but the, when they introduce Graham here, it feels like they're like putting on the stakes of like, no, this has kind of always been a joke and we Mm -hmm. are just going to make it really obvious to you now. 
Um, but because it's this like separated off OVA, I think it also gets easier for people to be like, oh, this one is just like not taking any of it seriously. Um, like, I, the, I think, I think, there, I think there could, I think, I feel like that, I feel like that joke would probably maybe land with, again, with just like a bit more space and a bit more pacing. Like, I think maybe just coming on with the extra long monologue is just like a little, a little strong because like, thankfully in the next two episodes, like, um, Graham gets a little bit less of center stage and like, like you point out, like there's that, there's that great scene in the car where he is just going on and on. And then like, he sees Shauna and he starts kind of like formulating a plan. Like I, Ooh, I think, I think a ransom I shall seek. And his, 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 his cohort in the car is like, boss, you're saying the exact opposite thing of what you were saying like 10 seconds ago. What are you, what are <laughs> yeah. you trying to say? Well, like, so specifically what he's saying, and this is like, so the, I, I will like make an argument for for this making sense. So, the for like Graham and like this character. So what he's saying at first is like, oh, tedium is like a curse because, like, the limited time that we have as humans should be either spent in like the extremes, like it should be either spent in like this kind of active pleasure or like indolence, but like waiting for something is like and like boredom is like all it's doing is wasting time and consuming time um and therefore it's like the worst possible thing that could happen and then he like pivots and is like oh it because of like the stuff because of the events that are happening around him he pivots and he's like Oh no, boredom, like, I think it's good for people to be bored sometimes because then, like, it allows you to, like, feel, like, more acutely, like, the climaxes of your life and, like, have, like, hi- like higher highs, basically, if you, like, are anticipating something. Are you making the argument that his that this little monologue here is, like, a miniature micro-universe metaphor for the OVA in general? <laughs> Um, I wasn't going to make that argument, but that that's interesting. I'm not going to go down that road, but like, <laughs> they, I, I like, I like you bringing that in. Um, no, what I was going to say is like, I think there is, again, it to talk about the show as like, oh, here's this very austere, like treatment of, you know, immortality and like, existentialism and like morality i don't think that characterizes the show correctly Mm -hmm. um like as a comedy and like a satire however i do think it like meaningfully like engages these themes um around like existentialism and mortality and like with with immortality being like a key figure for like framing this, uh, these like dilemmas and like moral questions. Um, but the idea of humanity, like the definition of it, uh, and the having of it, um, is clearly something that is like important and at stake, um, with like, you know, references to characters losing it or gaining it, um, are like repeated throughout consistently. Um, and then, uh, like the various responses, like a lot of these characters are defined by 
you know, first of all, these characters are like, in many cases, explicitly addressing like the idea of existentialism, especially in the OVA, um, mm. where it's coming into play with like the dominoes conceit. It's it's discussed around the dominoes, um, and then Elmer basically like delivering this, um, you know, this kind of recommendation or this moral pronouncement that I think we are. Um, set up to engage critically with um but also the various responses like so many of these characters are are defined by and colored by their like response to like essentially like existentialism um or like you know mortality and like the question of meaning um so you have lad who like fetishizes like death but specifically like the chance element of death um and like fate and the lack of control um and like powerlessness um so fetishizing it in the way of like oh you know we're all mortal we're all like subject to die at any moment and this is like exciting to me as like you know like enacting this to like make this happen and and also just like when it happens period like this is like a, a his like fetish that like excites him and then you have claire like responding to this in this way of like oh okay no like i can't die with this like solipsism of like no the world is me like existence is me and like therefore i can't die because like existence is just like my like my own mind um and then you you know you have this like circular um this like circular logic as a response to like this problem um and then i think that where like graham comes in in this is as like his vacillation like the way that he contradicts himself so much of his like monologuing is framed around like oh like this is what's meaningful in life like, this is how I, like, this is what the, the right way to live life. This is a meaningful way to live life, and that's why I do this. Um, but it's, like, constantly shifting and contradicting. Um, and then also, like, in a way that's incoherent. Um, but I think that's the point of, like, okay, here's another character who is, like, you know, responding to this. And, it, again, it's, like, a comedic. It's all within this, you know always forever within this comedic register because it's Bacchino. Um, But the show is still like getting at this um, just in this comedic form, especially exaggerated because it's Graham, um, you know, but like representing this like grappling um, with this problem and this like uncertainty. Um, And I think the show overall like, I, I hesitate to say that it just, like, I think you can make an argument that that it does. Um, but I hesitate to say that it just comes down on, like, Elmer's conclusion of, like, oh, you know, we're just here. Like, we should just be happy. Um, or, like, Isaac and Miria or, like, whatever. Um, I think it's, like, holding that at arm's length. Um while also having this like 
more critical, cynical, like framing of this larger issue and just showing these responses um, and these like potentialities um, for like, you know, for responding to this like larger dilemma. Um, and then that, you know, which is why the, like some of the drama has to do with immortality and like, you know, all of these plots are bearing this out. Um, but that's why it makes sense to me that Graham, like as much as I was ripping on this episode, it makes sense to me that Graham comes in like as with the domino, like in that domino episode, because the dominoes are, are about this. And then you have like Graham coming in and it's like, Oh, okay. You know, Graham is kind of about this as well in like his own way. Yeah. Um, do do we want to wrap things up with the last two synopses? <laughs> JC, do you want to do fifteen? Uh, sure, I can. I can take that one on. I think that was uh, next up for for me. I'm still waiting to get to the big final reveal that I laughed so hard at. I'm oh oh okay. I just remember. I just realized what it probably is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the delinquents that arrive at the high class neighborhood are the same as always. Um, a series of flashbacks revealed Nisa's face injury was caused by an explosion and Jacuzzi got his face tattooed so she would not have to feel alone. Because various members of Nisa and Jacuzzi's gang worked for the Genoards, I think it's implied that because they basically, that they basically, uh, because of how like their actions played out on the pussyfoot thing with like staff and the Genoards there and whatnot, they are in good with the Genoards now. Um, Eve allowed Nisa, Jacuzzi, and their gang to stay in a Genoard mansion. The gang returns from selling the explosive they stole from the Pussyfoot's cargo, but they also rescue Shanae and are unsure of what to do with her. Although Jacuzzi welcomes her, the others remain suspicious. Elsewhere, Claire finds and recognizes Chesla and Rachel. Shanae goes out for a walk and is abducted by Graham, who believes her to be Eve. Graham sends Jacuzzi a note, instructing him to gather as much money as possible and then come to meet him alone. Once Jacuzzi arrives... He learns that Nice and their gang and Claire followed him um, in a very funny and heartwarming moment in which Jacuzzi arrives by himself and Graham's ready to start like throwing down. And then uh, the entirety of Jacuzzi's gang shows up and Graham is like, I thought I told you to come alone. And Nice is like, nah, Jacuzzi did come by himself. And then I said to come by myself, too. And then like Donnie and Nick are like, yeah, and then I said to come by myself, too. I said to come by myself, too. And we all decided to come by ourselves. And We're all like, really That's... alone if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. This is a really, it's, it's a really heartwarming moment, honestly. Isn't the fundamental nature of man to be alone during this like <laughs> this like heartwarming scene of everybody coming to, to support um, Claire, the, the, the newfound family member to me? Like, well, we just have like an entire like Simpson style crowd shot of people going like, "I'm alone too. I'm alone too. I'm alone too." And uh, Jacuzzi's like, "Oh, it's so very nice." Um, also, there's a voice I don't recognize in there, <laughs> and, and that voice is, uh, is Claire, who, after talking, after talking it out with a random child on, a, on the street, decides to go and confront, uh, confront, uh, Graham to go get, uh, Shanae back from the, from the whole ransom. Um, Claire confronts Shanae and declares his love for her. Graham is furious when he finds out it was Claire who threw Lad off the train, and Claire decides that he will fight Graham to def- defend Shanae and her friends. So yeah, I wonder how that one's going to turn out. It's it's a nice yeah. it's a nice little kind of like convergence of like all these mini mini plots. Again, if this was like a full season, this definitely feels like something that would have happened maybe like five or six episodes in instead of two episodes in. But it's 
it's still it is just really nice seeing like jacuzzi and their friends like they they, they really do feel like in a different anime the, the entire show would be about them and this would be the my my power is my friends moment like that is what that would this would be but it's still just really nice to see like you get you get a good feeling for like why it is that jacuzzi makes a good leader like it's really easy to think like he's some kid that cries a lot but it's like he, there's a compassion and a and a uh and a uh uh this is where i'm thinking of he has like he has a determination he has a passion he, he has a passion and determination that inspires the people around him to want to do and be better and it's like that is that is generally nice to see and it's all it's it's a nice sentiment for the show to kind of basically close out on as far as like sentimentality and and happiness and dominoes and all that goes. <laughs> you so know? you're saying he's a shonen protagonist? Oh, he, yes. He, he he has a gun <laughs> in his heart. How how could that not be any clearer? He just has the determination and like he cares about people, and that's what ultimately gets him through. He has a special marking on his face that makes sure you know that he's the protagonist whenever he walks into the room. <laughs> um. So yeah. So let's let's find out what happens with that. Yeah, what's next? Episode 16 is next, um, wherein Carol realizes that the story cannot have an ending. Uh, Lad recovers as he is questioned by the FBI. He maintains his innocence, although there is no proof otherwise, and learns of Huey's whereabouts. Senator Biriam gives Rachel money for saving his wife and daughter, and Rachel uses it to buy enough tickets to compensate for all the free rides she took. Another like subplot that the stuff about like Rachel and Claire loving the train and like, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of, you know, passes over you. I, I like, I, I, I don't know. At this point it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. I don't really care about, you know, this emotional yeah. arc. Um, um, but anyway, um, earlier Nicholas follows Eve to the Gandor headquarters he is discovered by Claire, who threatens him into revealing Shanae's whereabouts um, by taking him to a train. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and threatening to grind him up on the tracks, um, which, you know, Cl- Claire likes that. When all you have, the style at the time. <laughs> when all you have is knowledge of trains and extensive acrobatics experience, everything looks like a dangle someone off the edge of a train. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, you do enough Cirque du Soleil and all you can think about is just grinding people up on train tracks. <laughs> well, Cirque du Soleil and learning how to be a conductor. Right, yeah. Yeah, you, you have to do both. Because yeah. um, if you only did Cirque du Soleil, I mean, there's a lot of options at that point. Yeah. For, for you could drop someone off anything. You have to really, you have to be a conductor to get the train fixation. Um. So afterward, uh, following Claire's meeting with Cheslaw and Rachel, Cheslaw panics after learning Claire's real tracer and flees. Claire invites Rachel to lunch hoping that she will help him win Shanae's heart. Later, Claire watches as Shanae takes her walk. When she is abducted by Graham, he goes to rescue her. That night, Graham realizes Claire outmatches him and concludes that only Lad can defeat Claire. Yeah, this is a great, like, where Graham is like, oh, I'm so furious. I'm going to kill you. Like, you hurt my daddy. And 
you know, now that can't be forgiven and then throws the wrench at him like one time and Claire's just like, okay. Um, and then they like jump around a little bit, but it's basically like, I, th- I threw the wrench at you once and it didn't work. So never mind. <laughs> I'm going to go tell my dad. <laughs> I'm going to have my dad beat you up. That's what needs to happen here. Kid, um, I beat, I'm the guy who beat up your dad. <laughs> um, no, my dad's the strongest dad. <laughs> yeah. And Claire's like, well, you know, we'll see about that because he didn't give me back my lawnmower. So I beat his ass. So you go tell your dad that. Um, your dad exists in my world. I get to decide whether he's a dad or not. <laughs> <laughs> your dad relies on me for tools. He can't buy his own. Um, anyway, I don't know where we are anymore. Um, <laughs> You're at the dad showdown. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Claire proposes to Shanae again, telling her they can start off as friends, and asks her if she would eventually fall in love with him. Shanae nods in response. In 1933, Eve finds that the barrel pulled from the bottom of the river is empty. <gasps> Whoa. Thus resolving the, like, you know, long-awaited Dallas mystery that everyone's caring so much about. Um, in 1932, Elmer encounters Sylvie and is surprised that she drank the elixir. She reveals that she had intended to devour Firo to obtain Greta's memories, um, but decides that Greta's memories are safe with him. I think I think this is implied, but yeah, you know, fair enough. Um, That's a sweet yeah. little sweet little conclusion to that. Yeah. Um, when they part ways, Elmer finds and thanks Ronnie, who is revealed to be the demon on the Edgana Avis, <laughs> for helping Miza, just as he wished for in 1711. Meanwhile, um, Gustav and Carol decide that the story they're investigating neither begins nor ends. I, I, I was hoping I that the Elmer. demon would be the mouse. I, I, I love Elmer just approaching the down the street, and I was just kind of like, oh, look at all these mortals. I will just take a nice long drag of the cigarette, and nothing will interrupt me. And Elmer dresses up, then it's like, I oh, there, Satan, good to see you again. And it's like, <laughs> I love his brazenness. I, it's it's great, just approaching the devil in the middle of the street in the middle of the day. Let's go. <laughs> this was the part that I laughed so hard at, which is just the reveal that Ronnie is the demon. <laughs> um... <laughs> After all of the, like, what is the, like, demon? How is it tied to the rail tracer? All that. And then it's like, oh, I guess we just, like, won't know. And then at the very end of the last episode of the OVA, it's like, oh, yeah, you know that dude, Ronnie? (laughs) (laughs) I think that dude was the devil. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I laughed so hard at this. um, And I was like, did I... Did I, like, misread that scene? Did they just, at the very end, briefly confirm that the character Ronnie Shadow is... (laughs) the demon so i looked it up and i found out um that yes he is and he is in actuality a former complete homunculus (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Um, okay i don't know what book this is from but apparently in 300 bc uh, (laughs) aka the notorious b.e ginning it should be worth pointing out i think like the titles of the books and stuff for bakano kind of do a jojo's bizarre adventure thing where they play off of like american like rock bands and song names yeah. and stuff um so in 300 bc in egypt a metallurgist sorcerer named rani 
in Egypt. Uh-huh. <laughs> 3000 the traditional, BC. The traditional Egyptian name. Ronnie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Along with his disciples create a complete homunculus. I'm just spoiling this book so like people can like skip forward a little bit if they don't want to know more about this. Um, using his and their blood as a medium. Um, his completed omniscient homunculus, shaped in the likeness of Ronnie, observes this Ronnie and others out of curiosity and a little jealousy. Sometime after the homunculus's creation, the ruler of Egypt demands that Ronnie the metallurgist surrender the homunculus to him. The metallurgist refuses, and the homunculus watches as he is stabbed. The homunculus calls his creator an idiot for not surrendering him. Uh, Ronnie laughs and says, uh, ra- laughs a little and says that when um or that uh wait when dies says that, yeah when he <laughs> dies he will go to the place that I'm the, the uh, homunculus does yet. not know and ask if he en- envies him the homunculus insists he does not arguing that his intellect would be lost if he broke the flask and left i don't even know what the flask is anyway ronnie asked him if he had uh, he had not considered giving up the future. He had not. And so, in order to leave the flask in which he is kept, the monkey gives know. up his ability to see the future and becomes incomplete, assuming a human form. The homunculus admits that he is anxious, but Ronnie simply directs the homunculus to inherit his name, home, and studious pursuit of the grand panacea, an immortality elixir. Thus the, does the homunculus gain the name Ronnie <laughs> in, in 300 BC Egypt. <laughs> Wait, so then, does that mean they don't summon the devil onto the boat, but they just summon Ronnie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, here's the other part. So, Ronnie is at this point seemingly uh, assumed the role of the original Ronnie, Ronnie 1. <laughs> <laughs> Let me continue the synopsis. The metallurgist abruptly sits up and announces that homunculus does not have to do anything if he does not want to. Roaring with laughter, he reveals that he is coated in chicken blood, which he used to foil the imperial assassin, and declares that the homunculus is now his uh, disciple. Despite the homunculus's confused and angry refusals, he declares that there are now two Ronnies, Ronnie 1, the metallurgist, and Ronnie 2, the homunculus. Only okay. then do the disciples hiding nearby reveal themselves. Ronnie 2 testily informs Ronnie 1 that there is a great white behemoth under the Arctic ice, and he wonders if <laughs> Ronnie 1 has seen it. <laughs> yes, not. The story claims that Ronnie 2 snaps his fingers and transports them both there, where they spent the next 50 years, and Ronnie 2 finally laughs. <laughs> Over the Good centuries. For him. Yeah. Over the wow. centuries, Ronnie too becomes known as a demon. He grants a generation of ten alchemists, including um, Dalton Strauss, Rene Parmides, Branvillier, uh, or Branvillier, um, and Archangelo, <laughs> or Archangelo, uh, complete immortality in either the 1400s or 1500s, and responds to his summoning in approximately 1608. And then, of course, what happens aboard the <laughs> Adventist of these. There's a bunch more about his timeline of the stuff he does in like the 1930s and in 2001 and 2002 to 2003. Um, I was just laughing so hard at all of this. <laughs> just the the reveal at the very end of like, oh yeah, Ronnie is the, the homunculus. And then me looking into it and being like, no, Ronnie's not an assumed name that he takes when <laughs> Elmer is like, hey, you should become human so that I can make you smile. 
his name has been Ronnie since he was in <laughs> 300 BC Egypt. You got you got the full loadout on the Ronnie Chronicles. <laughs> yes. Well, it's it's awesome that like the time was taken to like develop a whole backstory. Like, yeah, it would have been so easy to just, to just be like, oh yeah, Ronnie is just like this character's like assumed name. Yeah. In you know this society, but it's like no, no, no we're going to give them a whole backstory, and then still like while we're like thinking through the backstory and like writing out the background of this character, just like affirm that Ronnie is the name. It's not even just like, <laughs> Oh, we didn't think about yes. it. But yeah, I guess Ronnie has been his name like canonically. Cause we never said otherwise. It's like, no, no, no. Like in 300 BC, his name was Ronnie. Uh, if this was like a long running show like a jojo's bizarre adventure or something this would just be an entire season of this show like there would just be the ronnie arc like people would talk <laughs> for years at conventions and at lunchroom tables about how much they enjoyed the ronnie arc <laughs> i will say like although i would love to see this i would love to see this arc like ma- made in the same like way by the you know all the same personnel as like bakano Mm-hmm. I don't I, know. It, I don't know what would happen. <laughs> I mean, like, just, like I said, just from the things that happened past the Flying Pussyfoot, because the Flying Pussyfoot only kind of really represents, like, I don't know, like, two or three books worth of, like, what has kind of, like, dozens of books in its series already. Like, the se- like the story of Bacchano extends so far beyond the three-year span that we see in the show itself that, like, they could have kept making more show, I guess, if they really wanted to. I I don't know how a show becomes that kind of production in this day and age if it's not um if it's not already like a shonen manga or something. Because I feel like the closest we kind of have something like that is something like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, but that is still like a like a like a, a long running shonen manga that's still going. So there's stuff to draw from. But like I, I'm kind of surprised that it was kind of like a one off project with like basically this. And I guess you want to count Durara as a sp- a spiritual spinoff of Bakano, then like that's the most you kind of get out of it. I don't know. It it would have been great to see more and to see some of these wild, wild, wild stories that like you you get because like even this little like synopsis doesn't kind of go into like um not the Roddy Chronicles the the episode sixteen uh, <laughs> synopsis it doesn't really quite go into um like the final final shots of the show or kind of seeing like where things might be headed next like we see we see the fact that like you know like dallas has escaped so he's still missing we see we see lad piecing together the the part the piece parts of the puzzle that he's getting closer to finally meeting the infamous huey laferay we, we see like sylvie going off to her career singing in speakeasies and stuff and like the the different like mafia families like building up empires and graham specter getting off to his next adventures like there's wayne rebacco to go past this and the show tells you, like, it'd be fun to imagine what happens to these characters, but it's like, yeah, but you don't have to imagine. Like, it does happen in, like, a series of books. There is no imagination yeah. to it. The stories are there, and I would love to see those, but it is still just tantalizing to think about the fact that there is still so much more you can do with this world and characters, and that it can get as it can get as ridiculous as the Ronnie Chronicles, or Ronicles, yeah. as some might call them. <laughs> um... I, anyway. Yes, we will call them that. Yeah, <laughs> from from now on. Um, yeah, I think I think there could be like a season two at least going forward, like chronologically. Yeah. You know, it, and so to the extent that Bakuno is chronological, 
um, I think going into the to the Ronicles is like, I think you're getting too far into JoJo territory at that point <laughs> for that um, to work. I I feel like you can, I. So one of the things is I. I haven't read the light novels. Um, I don't know exactly. I've heard that like the show is more um, nonlinear than the actual light novels. And some of it is that oh, basically yeah. what well, I think it was like two light novels are the, the um, flying pussyfoot, which I think were the first two and whatever the, the first two light novels, uh, the guy who wrote it, wrote it as one book. And the editor was like, no, this is a light novel. You can't have it be this long. You have to split it in two. <laughs> um, and so I think it's whatever. I think that's the flying pussyfoot one. That's mm-hmm. two. And then that gets mixed and you're basically jumping back and forth between that. And then another one of the light novels. Um, and so I feel like if they went forward, they would probably do something similar where like there'd be two or three light novels that they are kind of addressing together um, and, and jumping around. Like, cause I don't know how you go to just a straight linear like entirely linear from this being the like expectations that, um, and I feel like that's also a good way to, cause I know I haven't watched a lot of, um, stuff, but like, we're going to do Kino's journey. That's one of the other big light novel things that I've watched the anime from. And that's adopt, um, adapting multiple novels, but it's so such an episodic show. And the, the format of the light novels is so episodic that it's very easy to do. But then I know like, I think Sword Art Online is um, often like multiple light novels get adapted into one season. So I think it would probably be this jumping back and forth. And so I could see the arc where you have most of the stuff that's happening in like 2000, 2002 or whatever. And then occasionally you jump back to 300 BC. Here's what's happening with Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which would be great. I would love it. So, yeah. um, do we have any is final that, thoughts? Is that or... Yeah, I think this might be it. <laughs> I just really wanted to end with Ronnie, the demon. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a great end cap. I kind of I need to. I really need to get like caught up on it at some point. I really want to get to the Ronnie Chronicles now, <laughs> just so we can like report back with any more juicy Ronnie details. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I still really like this show a lot. I still think it is like a front runner for one of my favorite anime personally. Um, I mean, the OVA has its issues, but I mean, like, I, I think that's kind of to be expected from OVAs in general. Like, it's hit or miss. But um, I don't know. I, I think I think I think this. I think like the main three plot lines that push the story forward. I think it still really works. Like the flying pussyfoot stuff's always really fun. I love kind of like the. I love the 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 clashing of like the world of alchemy that is Zillard and the search for the for the panacea with like the weird untouchables fantasy version of like 1930s like crime underground and stuff like clashing those together is honestly it is a pretty genius combination that i'm kind of surprised you don't see more of like bringing in like not even specifically magic but alchemy which is like i guess you could say alchemy is magic if it were science like fusing that into like historical into historical periods in american history to kind of create more like magic out of them like it'd be really cool to maybe see that a bit more with like this sort of like a uh, era. And it's kind of really cool to see it from like non-American creators. Cause like, 
Lord knows, I love westerns. I kind of am over like, like, ooh, what if it was the Wild West and there were eld- there was eldritch horror here? And it's like, maybe, but usually the people doing this don't have a good handle on how the western genre works. So it doesn't end up being that interesting. But the people working here with like Bacchano between like, you know, the original writer of these light novels and this anime team, I think they have a really good handle on like the tone and the feeling of, uh, the setting that they're playing in where it's extremely anachronistic, but it's so founded in, uh, in like, a in like a popular in popular media versions of this era that it feels real, even when it's not like it, it is a really fun take off of the genre infused with like, you know, a lot of like the tones and the themes and the characters and the archetypes and the, the, the long winding monologues we've come to love and expect from like, Japanese like books and comics and in television and stuff it's it's still a really fun blend and I still really enjoyed it and even going back and looking at it with like an academic eye and even having things where it's like ah oh, well this character gets introduced a little too late for my tastes or oh this episode looks better than this one and this and that and this like even looking at it that way I can still go back and say I still freaking love this show I still really like Bakano and there's still just so much to chew on here, even if you only latch on to like a few characters and a few storylines. By the end, like it just blends together into like a really easy to watch story that like you don't even feel like you're watching a story non-linearly. Like it is purely emotionally driven, and those emotions are so effective and powerful when you when you let yourself like uh buy into it and get into it. You know, like uh, I don't know. How yeah. how, how about y'all? Did you guys uh did you did y'all enjoy uh? Your first time through Bacchano. Yeah, I'm still just thinking about how you how you just created the perfect tagline for for alchemy. Uh, Magic, but science. Yeah, alchemy. It's like it's like magic if it was science. (laughs) But it is that that is what it is. It's chemistry magic, or I guess it's magic chemistry more rather. You need to copyright that before uh, (laughs) before some some alchemy company takes it from you. I think alchemy might be. science but magic and magic but science is whatever brandon brandon sanderson is doing in all of his books <laughs> yeah science if it was magic yeah is what alchemy is yeah and right. magic if it was science is what brandon sanderson stuff is where there's like extremely intense internal rules about how magic works and everything um in every single one of his books and if you want to hear more uh, about that Check out, uh, Ours are check out Autumn's. Yeah, check out Autumn's podcast. Yeah, uh, that one I I think is still on hiatus, but it'll be back. It I'm sh- pretty sure that by the time people are hearing this, it will be back. Um, but I think it's been the the hardest just to get back running because literally all of the hosts had like life changes, um, in a way that just made it very difficult to like get it back up. Anyway, um. Next episode, we will be doing the question bucket. Um, JC will... I think we're going to record this July 30th. That would be the deadline for people to write in. I'm assuming you'll be back with us, JC. I should be, yeah, as far as I know. Yeah. I love answering questions. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love <laughs> going on panels or having people write in questions. I would love any questions people have about Bacchino or nonlinear stories or... Some of the conversation we had before the show is a little about 13 Sentinels, which I think kind of rolls into this, like, kind of in a really, it's a, 13, if, if you liked Bacchino and you're more, you're hungry for more stories, 
told like this, I think 13 Sentinels is the perfect follow-up. So, like, if people have, like, spoiler-free questions about that as well, too, I'm also willing to, like, talk a little bit about that because I also love 13 Sentinels. <laughs> yeah, maybe um, by the question bucket, one one of us will, uh, one of either myself or Neve will have actually played the game and we I'm, can talk I'm, to you I'm, about I'm, it. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm secretly hoping he plays it soon because I mean, come on, come on! It's 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 a non-linear time traveling story about children learning that they can pilot giant mechs. It's <laughs> come on, come on! It's right there for you. It's it's tailor made. It's really great. <laughs> yeah, but also I just hacked my Vita and I downloaded like a bunch of different Yuri visual novels. So. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, also, I'm reading everything that I can find that Yozawa Ai has ever written. Um. So who can say if I'll play it or not? Um. Anyway, if you want to write into that question bucket, you can write it into ghostdiverspod at gmail dot com. Um. Other plugs: you can support the network by going to exportodd.io, which will take you either to the Patreon or the website that we're going to try and make that's like a dedicated website, but I'm sure that website will have a link to the Patreon. If you go and support the Patreon and you give a dollar a month, you will get early access to a bunch of podcasts. Uh, Not this one, because that question bucket that I just mentioned coming up, um, I want people to be able to listen to all of the episodes before they write in, and there's basically no way to do that other than like expecting people who are listening to the free feed to do that in like a day like the episode comes out friday and usually record saturday um but yeah but there's other ones that are are uh a week early so that includes uh gotham city limits which is a batman podcast with uh m and autumn um then tuesdays is ornate stairwells that's the podcast that i do with autumn where we watch movies and talk about them um, so if you go to exportodd.io slash ornate stairwells, you'll, you'll also get the free feed. I'm just going to extra promo that one. Cause I'm on that one. Uh, Wednesdays is usually hot singles. Wednesdays will also be, um, pondering Putan, which I think when you're hearing this is like happening very soon. Yeah. Uh, might even be happening before the question bucket gets recorded. I think it's definitely before the, the question bucket goes out. Um, so do if you subscribe you'll you will get that early go do that right now um give a dollar um then thursdays is our ours arcanum and uh nothing fridays because fridays is divey day and here on ghost divers um we don't we don't do that we demand all of your time yeah (laughs) fridays Um, are for the ronnies (laughs) yeah ronicles Um, oh and also also, this will still be running. Um, at this point, they will be on to the Silmarillion. Um, Bag End Book Club is on Sundays, and you also get that uh, a week early. Um, and that's a reading through the works of Tolkien before the Silmarillion or whatever show, Lord of the Rings show, um, happens. Um, so yeah, that's that's all the little promos for the network. You should. Oh, and then five dollars. If you do five dollars, you get Pop Town Funk, which is a podcast where um, Autumn and Nora roll a random Funko Pop and then have to do some piece of media that's related to that. Usually, they do a movie because it's very easy to watch like a two hour movie and then podcast about it versus like reading books or whatever. Um, 
But yeah, that's it's a lot of fun. And even if you don't like Funko Pops, they barely talk about them at all. It's basically just a mechanic <laughs> to generate content. Um, and also they are starting, I don't think this has like a set of a, a timeline, uh, but they're starting the weed of time where they're going to read through uh, an entire wheel of time book uh, for each episode. And then they're going to get really high going. and try to talk about it. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, I'm pretty sure they arrived at the name of that podcast first and then the, the promise afterwards, uh. the, the premise afterwards, um, the original one, but they just decided this is like too complex to, to really make work. But the original idea for the premise was they would eat edible and then see if they could summarize the entire uh, plot of the book and talk about it before the edible hit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that'll that'll be coming to um, the... I think that's going to be a $5 podcast. Maybe that's what we should have done for Bacchino. It's just like, take edibles, and it's like, okay, we have to describe (laughs) this before it starts kicking in. (laughs) Yeah, reminds Um, me of the time I took edibles and tried to explain the NFL draft to someone. While we were watching it, <laughs> I think um, I did a pretty good job, actually. Yeah. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod. You can follow me at Fox Momnia. You can also follow me at Media underscore Pile, which is just where I like will tweet screenshots of movies that I'm watching. Usually, anytime that I see a set of stairs, um, or like here's a comic I'm reading or whatever. Uh, it's just kind of a th- place for me to talk about media. Uh, um, is there a pair of stairs? Pair of stairs? Is there a set of stairs that you really <laughs> enjoyed seeing in a, in a movie? Like, what's what's the best stairs you've seen in a movie? Um, ooh. So, on Ornate Stairwells, we rate every staircase that we see in the movie. Um, or, like, we, we rate the movie overall for their staircases. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to look and see what are ones that we've given... Uh, do you have a cumulative like um staircase ranking uh what do you mean cumulative across all films no like Uh, how is it rated overall yeah like the greatest staircase in film history um so I think the only one that we've given in Ornate S2, which is the highest rating that we've given, was uh, there's an Anya Svarta uh, short called, um, it's like, you have beautiful stairs, don't you? Or something. <laughs> and it's literally just a tribute to stairwells in movies. So it's just a bunch of shots of like iconic stairs along with some stairs into a, a like cinema, like a theater. Um, so like that was a movie all about stairs. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to look, uh, hero got an S, mm-hmm. uh, that's not one that we watched on the podcast, but it's one that we talked about, um, and rated. That's a really good one. Cause like going up the stairs is a big part in hero. Um, I know one of our favorites that we, um, we rated that was one that we watched, uh, on the podcast was for Goodbye Dragon Inn, which is sort of a slow cinema about, uh, like, film piece about um, essentially a, a, a theater is closing, um, and the last film that they're showing is the movie Dragon Inn, which we watched the week before, and it's a great fucking movie. Um, 
duly noted. I'll add that to my watch yeah. list. Uh, so if you watch Dragon Inn, it's like a, a wuja. It's fantastic. And then Goodbye Dragon Inn is about them showing that movie in a theater. And it's basically just all the people walking around the theater while they're doing this last screening. Because apparently this theater has been used as like a gay cruising spot for a really long time. And so like an entire subplot is just a Japanese tourist who wants to have gay sex just wandering around trying to find somebody you can have gay sex with. Um, very little dialogue in it. And there, so the, the ticket lady has some sort of, uh, disability where she has like a, a little bit of a limp. Um, and she has a, a crush seemingly on the projectionist. And so a large portion of the film is just shots of her slowly walking upstairs, trying to go up to the projection booth, uh, to give half of a bun to the projectionist that she likes. Aww. <laughs> um, it's like a very so good movie great. about very good stairs. Yeah. Um, it's a fantastic movie. It is. It's also, I think a great one. If you want to watch something that's in this like slow cinema space where it's a lot of like really long takes and not a lot is happening because it's, it's short despite being like, like it's still like a, you know, 90, hundred minute movie or something. At that I most. mean, like, I really like that kind of thing though. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's like, I'm that guy that's like shouting from the rooftops about like a, been shouting from day one about like, Oh yeah. Speed racer. Very hyperactive movie. It's great. <laughs> or like, yeah, everything we're all at once. Very hyperactive movie. It's great. But it's like also too, man, I do just love a movie where you just get to sit in this space for like 15 minutes. And it's like, what happened? And it's like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I was looking at other ones because we talk about like basically every movie that either of us watched as long, along with the main movie when we record. Um, and we watch a lot of movies. Um, and at one point we did rate the stairwells just in the anime, uh, Utena, Mm -hmm. which is an S, uh, that's a, that is a like fucking amazing staircase. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are some great stairs. So that one was called Dragon Inn. Uh, Dragon Inn, yeah, it's the Wuja. It's a King Who movie. All right, cool. Um, I'm writing that one down. Also, um, knowing that you would want to watch great, uh, you know, like kung fu action films of this era, mm-hmm. um, have you seen Snake and Eagle Shadow? I just need to make sure. I, I have not. I'm writing that one down. Oh my too. god! Yeah, please watch Snake and Eagle Shadow. Um, it's a Yuan Wu Ping film. And it's an early Jackie Chan film. Um, and it's just like so delightful. Look, all you have um, to say is Jackie Chan. I'm, yeah. I know what I'm getting for. I know what I'm in for now. I'm in for a good time. Um, also, the the fight scene at the end, uh, he is missing a tooth through all of it. And they're in the shot where he gets uh, kicked in the face. He really did get kicked in the face. And you can watch, if you slow it down, the tooth fly out of his mouth. Nice. Oh, he actually lost a tooth in the filming of the, the final fight. I, I know um, I've talked to you about the experience of watching, like, Police Story in a theater and just, like, shots in that movie. And I'm just kind of like, I could feel the fact that my mouth was open. And I stopped breathing for, like, 15 minutes. Because you could just, on a big theater screen watching Jackie Chan stuff go, you can really take in the impossible details. And it's like, they really captured this stuff on film. And it's really happening. Yeah. Um... Snake and Eagle Shadow is a great balance of like, they're just some sick fights. And there's also just like funny, there's a sequence early on where, uh, cause Jackie Chan's character is basically bullied, um, at the school that he's at. And so one mm-hmm. of the teachers will 
go step in flour and then walk around on the wet floor that Jackie Chan just like mopped so that he has to mop it again. Um, and so there's a sequence of him like following along, trying to get all the footsteps. Um, and then after he gets trained in like the snake style and is like a Kung Fu master now, uh, there's just this sequence of the, the teacher trying to do that again. And he's like throwing rags under his feet, like before he can set them down <laughs> and like doing all of these tricks to like move him into different places where it's not going to happen anymore. Uh, and it's just fantastic. It's just great seeing like Yuan Wu Ping level choreography for just like a joke of trying to get it so that your teacher doesn't like <laughs> get flower on the floor. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. These are both going on my watch list now. Um, also, Come Drink With Me is the, the same director as Dragon Inn, and I think it was my favorite by him. So if you haven't seen that one, I also recommend it. It's great. Um, anyway, uh, Connor, where can people follow you on? <laughs> um, it's, yeah. Uh, it's always good, you know, Every everyone on Ghost Divers has to get in one long tangent um, at some point. <laughs> Um, yeah. y'all can follow me at Rabelais, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S. Um, and then JC, where can people follow you and anything else you want to promo? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Sonic9JCT. Yes, it is like the hedgehog. Uh, I, pretty much anything I'm doing, I'm going to be sharing there. Uh, whether it's something that I just played and the specific thoughts I have about something that probably made me angry or very happy in it. Or just kind of like doodles of Dark Stalkers characters, which is kind of what I'm into right now. Um, I host the uh, the Yeti stream every Thursday, office hours. It's every Thursday at about mm, 2 p.m. Central. Sometimes the time might change based on the guest, but tune in for that. We'll play games sometimes. Sometimes we'll do snack taste test. Um, one time we do a comic live on stream. Sometimes we'll play Jackbox. Whatever's going on in the office, that's basically what we're doing on the show. So tune in for that. Uh, something I realized I should have plugged in, plugged the last couple ones too. Um, I also do a monthly, a bi-monthly comic for Nintendo Force Magazine, which is kind of like a spiritual successor to Nintendo Power. Uh, I think we have like a couple like writers who used to write for it and just some other generally awesome people too who you might recognize from spheres of the internet people like jonathan holmes or nadia oxford really good crew of people so i do comics for that magazine the magazine comes out once every other month and i have a comic in every issue and also sometimes too i manage to sneak in like a a review or a preview or an article about games that i like that nobody's played because that's what i'm totally all about so uh yeah check out the check out uh uh, yeti.tv for the yeti stream check out nintendo force for my nintendo comics and just keep an eye on me on twitter for just any other small projects that i'm working on i got a lot of really cool stuff i wish you could talk about but i don't think i can but maybe i could <laughs> by the time it's come out we'll see what happens so yeah check it out there right on i also do i also have a letterbox for into that kind of thing same name there i'm trying to do better about filling that out this year oh yeah i'm also on letterbox i think i'm fox Mamnia. I need um, to make sure I'm I following you. I've got, I've had a lot of like friends, mutuals following me, and it's like I thought we were following each other. So I'll make sure I got you on there too. Um, all right. Well, we've got a final them invading. Do you, do you want to say bye, Lem? Uh, bye, I'm, everyone. I miss you, Lem. Take care, Lem. Oh, and everybody else too. You, you, you even Connor and everybody at home. Everybody, take care. Yeah, God, even me. Uh, <laughs> I'm so so glad you deigned to to say say goodbye. Connor, um, think, think, what, 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 what do you think is kind of attitude? What do you think Ronnie would think about this, huh? Think about <laughs> Ronnie. 
What would Ronnie do? I don't know, Ronnie one or Ronnie two? Is it <laughs> now that oh, I think I think it's implied I'm talking about Ronnie two. Okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, Lem does have big Ronnie energy. <laughs> you, like if, Lem I, is, you, Lem if is there Ronnie was a reveal. Three. If there was a reveal that Lem was the demon all this time, and also that he's just like a super old homunculus, um, I would believe it. <laughs> Wait, so would that make Ollie? Would that make Ollie a Ronnie one or a Ronnie three? Um, Ollie's a just a homunculus. Cat. A different homunculus by um, uh, a different ancient Egyptian named uh, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Brian 2. <laughs> yeah, Brian 2. Anyway, bye everyone. Good night, everybody. See you next time.
Did a time that is clap at all? Yes. We should oh do my that. God. It's almost midnight. It seems like the perfect time to make salmon for dinner. That's my plan. <laughs> That's some interesting logic there. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, the logic is I bought salmon this week and it expires in a day or two, so I will cook it. Okay, um, that, that makes sense. I made gyudon for dinner, and it, that's just an incredible dish. Uh, have you ever had uh, what's it called ochazuke before? Like the like the rice soup? Um, I don't think so. Oh, it's really good. I got a really good recipe for some in that um, Street Fighter book. I, I think I know I sent you a recipe out of that one. I think <laughs> it's a good cookbook. The lady who does that cookbook is really good at what she does. Oh, and I believe the Street it. Fighter book is because like she do, she's done the cookbooks for Final Fantasy fourteen. That one's really good. She did a cookbook for Fallout, which is okay but i also don't like fallout so maybe i just don't give a shit about it she did one for street fighter that's really good she did one for destiny that's really good she has one coming for halo coming out soon and it's like she does good cookbooks i will buy her halo cookbook let's go but um yeah uh, the street fighter one's just like street food for around the world and there's a really nice ochizuke recipe in there where it's like salmon and rice there's some wasabi in there you crush up some um what do you call them those like little rice cracker things you know the ones i'm talking about right Oh, yeah. 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 Like, you like, you like, like guys or whatever. Yeah, that stuff. That's, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Ooh, we, if, mm, honestly, if I have the stuff on hand for it, maybe I'll make some of that for dinner. That actually sounds really good. Um, um, all right. So, time that is. Um, let's do it at six. Okay. At what six? You cut off. Uh, okay. We're going to do it at 10 now. Okay. Okay. I forgot we were coming up on six seconds until I've said that at like five seconds in. I was like, "Oh, I ruined it, didn't I?" No, it's okay. We're 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 resilient. We're used to um, time that is uh, shenanigans, so it's all good. Uh, Do we want to hit stop or yeah, yeah? Do we have more goofing off to do? Yeah, go ahead and stop. Now recording. I've got recording going now. Um, you'll have to send a photo of your mic at some point, Connor. Okay. Yeah, I will. I'll uh, if I don't forget, uh, in the course of talking about Baca now. Um, yeah. So you know, it's pretty. Well, it's pretty uninteresting. So I think it'd be pretty. <laughs> you know, this, I won't this get too interesting. 
because so by the time that people hear this episode, they will have heard the question bucket that you recorded on this mic. So I guess when we record the Ghost in the Shell question bucket, I will do the official like, hey, you got a new mic. But um, this is the first time that we're recording on it, dear listener. Yeah. Um, Continuing to play with, uh, you know, chronology and, and time and, mm-hmm. you know, doing this very deliberately. Oh. I haven't, uh, I haven't edited the, the other Bacchino ones yet. I was going to do those soon. And then I decided it would be funny after it's all edited that when I do the, the intro theme to have a part where I like drop down the volume a little bit and then cut audio from the last episode or like the last <laughs> few episodes that I think will be like funny and pertinent to what comes up in the episode. Uh, <laughs> 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 like just have like... For the beginning of this episode, just have audio from last episode of me, like, trying to figure out what I think the rail tracer is. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then just having it be, like, revealed immediately in this, like, segment of episodes. Um, Anyway. Don't you mean the rail tracer? I watched... We'll we'll, we'll get to it, but I I watched the... um, the second half of this series, and I have just a very different impression of what I think this series is now. Uh, so I definitely have different fun. feelings about the OVA episodes than I think I have in the past, but I, I, to the point where I was wondering, like, do I skip these episodes when I usually watch this show? And we'll talk about this. I know we will, but I just kind of was like, yeah. this is a weird OVA, and I kind of wish this was just a full season, because this does not seem like, this seems like somehow both too much and too little for an OVA. <laughs> yeah. Um... Speaking of non-linear <laughs> storytelling, I, I was curious, uh, both, I guess both of y'all, especially for the show, did you guys ever have any plans to check out um, 13 Sentinels at all? Because it kind of seems up y'all's alley, and it's also a story that is told very similarly to how Bakuna was told. Did you um, tell us about that last time and I forgot? Yeah, I if, so. if that's true, I might, if that's what happened, I might have I'll mentioned it. I, I might have mentioned it because like I know I had to I think I mentioned I mentioned Arrested Development season four and I mentioned 13 Sentinels for being uh, told non non-linearly in the same way Bacchino is I think that's I think that's what I said yeah the game 13 um, Sentinels mm-hmm. no he I just rim um, I... yeah directed by uh, Guillermo del Toro I wish <laughs> <laughs> um, I have thought about um, getting and playing this game, probably the Switch version, just because um, this is the thing that I, I was realizing today because I was thinking about how, so like when the, the PlayStation 3 came out, I was like excited to get one. I got one hopeful that, because I was like, well, Persona 5 is going to be on it. Ha, that, <laughs> oh, you sweet that summer child. Um, yeah, and so like I, you know, I got the um playstation 3 and i was all excited and like there wasn't a ton of games but there was still stuff i was excited to play early on um and it never like was as great of a console for me as the playstation 2 Mm -hmm. uh the playstation 2 is the greatest console ever made um because it plays all of the games from the actual greatest console ever made the playstation but they just made more games for it Um, yeah the the yeah the amount of game the quality and amount of games on ps2 is uh it can be beaten um and then like playstation 4 i i got but not quite as early into its life um and still like was excited to get and now i'm just thinking about like the playstation 5 
And I, I stick with PlayStation because my bread and butter when it comes to video games is just like the mid JRPG games that no one ever plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't and say. that's that's going to be like mostly on on PlayStation in terms of like big consoles. Um, and some of it is just like PlayStation Five just. And also the Xbox just don't actually have games yet because COVID screwed up game development so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm just like, I'm thinking about how there's going to be a Persona on and like some other Atlas game that I want to play on PS5. There's going to be that new like Final Fantasy game. And I'm just going to be like mad that they're making me get a PlayStation 5 is <laughs> I think what's going to happen. <laughs> Can you even I, get um, one at this point? What? <laughs> Can you even you, get oh, yeah. PS5? If you've been following the star signs and uh, some uh, some uh, ocean navigation <laughs> charts, you should be able to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, the way I put it, people, is like, I love my PS5, but it's like, you do not need to get one right now. It is just a nicer PS4. That is kind of all it is. Yeah, that seems to be what the Xbox is as well. Everybody who's, like, told me why they like their new Xbox are like, well, yeah, the load times are just better for the, like, last generation Xbox games that I'm playing on this. And I'm like, okay. Like, I understand that would probably make a big difference. Well, here, here, here's, my, here's my much pitch better for the Xbox, times, actually. But... I have no interest in an Xbox Series X. I did buy an Xbox Series S and get it for about 200 bucks, and that plus Game Pass is just kind of like, hey, if you're the kind of person that, if you could, you would try, like, five to a hundred minutes of any and every indie game that looks interesting, just get an Xbox Series S and Game Pass, <laughs> and you'll be yeah. good. And it's like, yeah, that that works. That's easier than having to track down and buy buy a PS5 that costs three times as much. So, yeah, and, um, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with that in the longest with RPGs go. But actually, actually, kind of surprised Thirteen Sentinels didn't come to it because like Thirteen Sentinels was like it definitely has that mid tier PS2 RPG feel because it's vanillaware, obviously, and that's exactly the field they like they play in. Like that's the field they've always played in, and um. It's the kind of game that should have gone completely and totally unobscured and missed, but it had the pleasure of coming out at the very height of COVID, which means that like I kind of I, I there's there's this there's this thing about like every game that's come out in the last three years that I don't know why, and I kinda also get why, but like I feel like gaming FOMO has never been stronger than it has been in the last three years for some reason, which means that everybody feels the urge to play everything as soon as it comes out. And so like 13 Sentinels burned pretty bright when it came out and the people it stuck with, it stuck with pretty hard and it ended up being like one of Vanillaware's best-selling games internationally with about like 300,000 copies, which again, yeah, and that's exactly within like PS2 RPG, like mid-tier range when there's like literally a thing with Capcom saying like, oh yeah, we just hit like 20 million on Resident Evil Village and Monster Hunter World and like Vanillaware's like, hey guys, we sold 300,000 copies of 13 Sentinels. It's our best-selling game ever. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that did get a port to Switch because I remember playing that and thinking like, the people who need to play this game aren't play aren't going to play it on a PlayStation. Like those people are on Switch now because the Switch is kind of the the Switch is kind of the PS2 console right now. So I was yeah. like, I I hope the people who actually really would buy this game in large numbers get this on Switch one day. And sure enough, yeah, this is the thing of like I'm kind of waiting to see like okay, what does like does Gus start releasing stuff on PlayStation Five? Because that's like an indicator to me of like, are is there going to be any sort of jump of even sort of the bigger um, companies that have held on? Like, 
because right now it feels like switch is just the atelier console um and those are just like those mid-tier jrpgs that like people may have played one of but they're not playing all of them um but then it was me also realizing like okay i i hacked my ds 3ds psp and vita and loaded a bunch of games on there and it's the most that i felt overwhelmed by the games that i want to play and don't have time for like i loaded every single vita um atelier game on there and i was just like i don't have time to play every single atelier game on the vita but like there's so many on here and right now the switch is the closest to that because it's like basically the closest we have to a handheld left Mm -hmm. um it's not quite a handheld but it's still basically the closest we have to a handheld and honestly like this stuff happens the most um like I, i feel like stuff happened the most on handhelds because there's no expectation of like graphical greatness when you're playing a handheld in the same way that there is on like the next gen console. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's and so, a big and I feel like, yeah. And I feel like, and that like frees it up for like people who are just doing, have a kind of an interesting idea or just want to make like a fun little story. That's a, you know, JRPG combat system or whatever. Um, those people don't have the money to like throw at doing these really big extravagant uh, extravagant graphics um and so they're just going to do it for like like the 3ds had a bunch of them the vita had a bunch of them mm-hmm. um and i feel like right now the switch is like the closest we have to that because if you're if you're operating in that space you're just going to go well okay we'll put it on the switch because again people are not going to expect a switch game to look as good as what's on the playstation 5 it's um, it's a, it's a budget the, platform yeah. and that sort of thing is like so 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 important to the like ecosystem of ideas and gaming like that's mm-hmm. part of why I also am a strong believer that the PS1, the PS1 might be straight up my favorite platform I think it might be the best because like at a time when games were getting more expensive and more like you have to do what Nintendo says you have to do here comes Sony and says hey remember how it costs like hundreds of dollars to print your game on a cartridge and it's going to be very small it's going to look bad and it's going to sound bad what if we told you you could pretty much do whatever you want because CDs are really freaking cheap and so anybody and everybody made games and that was fantastic and I feel like the Switch is kind of that right now too where it's like you could put out a game on the Switch that feels like a PS2 game and nobody would care because like you said, it's it is it is both the handheld and it is the budget platform. Like I yeah. I have to wonder if the closest the PS5 might get to sticking with that will be the fact that like there are still people putting out games as PS4 games that are just like it's it's it'll run on PS5, but it's technically a PS4 game, and it's like, will they ever not let people not make PS4 games? Which I kinda hope they don't, because that's that's I really do think that's the closest we'll get to just like people still continuing to make budget games moving into this new generation. And like if if budget games were to ever die out, I would be very, very heartbroken because those are the kind of games that end up like, I don't know, I, I think those are the games that end up having like really special experiences for me because it is people who are interested in actually experimenting and playing around because like they're making the most they can out of how little they've got and it's about like making that core strong instead of making it flashy and yeah at, at, I don't at least think, the switch will keep it around well and the I don't the, think it's going to die out just because yeah. like I this this is mostly like my perspective as someone who primarily plays on PC mm-hmm. um but I think in the PC gaming ecosystem there is I think like the gaming demographic has split 
considerably at this point where you just have like console people who are like primarily console gamers are playing like blockbuster games to like to a large degree and then you have people who are drawn to like switch and or like pc and if you look at like steam the amount of like small budget indie games on steam is unbelievable and there's still like i think the demand for that and the interest in that like category is is greater now with Mm -hmm. like a recognition of like recognizing it as a category and like as such um and i don't think all of the people who are interested in games in that way are gonna just I think that's a persistent like demographic, but I do think there's like a a schism that is like changing game development and is like being served by like the types of games that are being produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of those two is like some of it comes down to what is the the business model, um, and like the business model for like PlayStation 5 stuff is like, okay, we're making these huge expensive games that we're going to sell to people who will shell out $600 for a console. Um, and we'll do a bunch of money on DLCs and all like all this other stuff. Um, and that is different than what the other one is, which is like, we want to make something. It's not going to be super high budget and flashy. We're not going to like be the thing that everyone is talking about. Who's like, you know, on that console or whatever, but we are going to then release it on something that has the like market share that will have just, there's enough people that have that thing that could potentially play it and come across it that you have higher chances than like, if you put it on a PS five, there are not that many people who own a PS five right now. If you put it on a switch, there are a lot of people who own a switch. If you put it on PC, there are a lot of people who own PC. And then sort of the, the divide that happens there is one, the PC often involves a, a certain like higher level of um, like the thing that's easy about a switch is that like there are lots of people who don't have any desire to like build a computer build a or, yeah. or go through the time to figure out whether or not a game is going to work on their thing. Even if they just have like a simple laptop, um, there's still like stuff that you have to do to try and figure out if that game will run on your thing. Whereas if you have a switch, you know that it will just run on it. The other big thing, and this is why like, while PC, there's some interesting stuff on PC, there's not nearly as much of this, like, JRPG space because there isn't the same, like, share of... There are people who play PC games in um, Japan, but it is, like, a, a different demographic happening there mm-hmm. than what is just, like, this GRP, uh, JRPG space. Really, it's, like, the visual novel space is the PC space in Japan, and a lot of these other games that are going to be more like JRPGs, those people probably have a Switch. Um, and that's why it's also, like, right now this stuff is, is on Switch because it, they're lots of people in Japan have a switch. This is also the reason why a lot of that stuff is on PlayStation and not on Xbox because usually PlayStation does better in Japan than Xbox. Yeah. I always think about that um, picture of the advertisement with um, Bill Gates with the blue Xbox controller, the original Xbox and a hamburger, which I only recently <laughs> learned those are not his hands. If you've seen that ad before, those are not Bill Gates's <laughs> hands. Okay. Now I have to look this up. <laughs> Bill Gates, Xbox hamburger. <laughs> this is what I'm typing in. 
it's a, oh, it's that's a cute, creepy. It's a, it's a cute color though. I wish Microsoft made a uh, hardware in that color in America. That's a cute color, but it's like those aren't his hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a photo of him, and then uh, like photoshopped over our hands holding the hamburger and controller. Are you sure <laughs> it's photoshopped? Do you not know? How do you not know? There's not just like somebody squatting in front of them, just off funnier. screen holding. I think them up. I think this is the era of someone just like squatting <laughs> off screen. Goodness gracious! I have I have strongly considered potentially trying to like import a, a Japanese 360 for like the two or three games that didn't make it across the pond, just because the 360 is not region free, and it's like, man, it would be cool to have an at home version of Tetris Grandmaster. <laughs> Um, Hold on, I'm, I'm posting something in the Discord. Um, oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. That's it. That's uh, biblically accurate Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, do we want to do a drink check and then we can get into the episode? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I, I will start. I am having a Boulevardier, which is um similar to a Negroni, where uh so this is bourbon instead of gin, and then Campari and sweet vermouth. Um, but especially with the bourbon, it felt kind of Bacchano appropriate. Mm-hmm. Also, I just mm-hmm. enjoy it. But and it's a nice red color, so you know, red like um. All the blood all over Claire Stanfield. <laughs> <laughs> or Vino, as he is also known, mm-hmm. which I believe is Italian for wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then I also uh, have water, but. Oh, yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah. Um, you have water in your body at all times, so. <laughs> you know. Water already... and skeletons, baby, that's all we are. Yeah. Like, what, what? Are you going to, like, say skeleton next time we do a drink check? Come on. You already know you have water. Um, I have, regrettably, I have Paps Blue Ribbon hard coffee. Oh, How is yeah. that? I mean, you it, did open up with the word regrettably, but still. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I took, like, a sip of it earlier, but not enough to really try it. Um. So I'm going to, uh, well, I was going to take a, a photo on my phone, but that doesn't make any sense because this has to exist on the internet somewhere. So I mean, you can take a photo of the the alcohol and also your new mic. Two words yeah, to pass down. That's hey. true. I'll, I'll, but I'd have to turn on the lights to do that. Mm. Um, I, I forgot that you record in pitch black. <laughs> yeah, well... I assume you do too, because you know your recording studio is. Uh, there's a there's a light a in this closet. Okay. Because um, uh, so yeah, a walk-in closet. Um. Oh wait. All right. So I guess while you're grabbing that photo, uh, I am actually Good. drinking half of the same thing I was drinking last week. I am once again drinking another cup of that. Um, Uniqlo hot tea because I am in the final days of getting over COVID. So like my throat isn't bad, but it's in a place where it's just kind of like, gotta be nice to my throat. So hot tea is where it's at. 
Uh, I think last week in the second half, I did start drinking some sake, and I, I think for how long mm. we were going, that was not the best choice. So I was like, eh, I'm not going to drink sake today. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to stick with the tea for both my, my brain and my throat this week. So just some nice yeah. hot tea. And then I think like right before I started recording, I finished off a can of um Dark Doctor... Do- oh my god, it's so hard to say. Dr. Pepper Dark Berry, which is something me and my friends were a big fan of when it came out like a couple years ago for the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal Spider-Man movie, and it had Mysterio on the can, which is cool, because I love Mysterio. He's a supervillain whose entire power is not having powers, but convincing you that he does have powers. He's a lying liar who lies. It's rules. And now that it's back, they have uh, whatever this new Jurassic Park is on there, which I am less happy about, because I hate that movie because it's it stars a very it stars a human pest of a person and that first new jurassic park movie is one of the most like aggressively sexist movies i think i've ever seen really even if it, even if it did have um jimmy buffett in it for one quick great cameo um that's not enough to erase the sexism okay it's it's <laughs> it's really weird because like there's kids in it like there are in the original jurassic park and this time they have a baby kids are and- super sexist well, the kids are kids. They're fine. It's it's this babysitter. She just sucks, and she won't let them have any fun because it's her responsibility to be a babysitter lady and be responsible. And it's a huge bummer, and it sucks the perspective this movie has this character the whole time. But when the dinosaurs break loose, she has the most like unnecessarily violent death. It's one of the most unnecessarily violent deaths I've ever seen in a movie. And this is coming from like a horror anime sicko so it's like i i have a high tolerance for like intensity and i was like this is too much because she gets picked up by some sort of like pterodactyl dinosaur and then she gets dropped into a tank with like a sea brontosaurus i'm really bad about my dinosaur names right now i'm, I'm sorry but she gets dropped. No, i'm following tank. you completely and then she basically gets waterboarded by these two dinosaurs where they're just flinging her back and forth through the surface of the water until a bigger dinosaur comes around and just eats her. And it was oh, like, like, this this punishment like does not fit the crime because the only thing she did was to be a responsible babysitter and tell the kids, you can't do that. You're at a park that's known for dinosaurs getting out and killing people. I have to be responsible. <laughs> and the movie thought that shit, that was enough for a, being a buzzkill that they literally just waterboarded her between three dinosaurs at once for five minutes. It's, it was it's it was really unpleasant and i just was like i don't want to be in this jurassic park anymore and i keep that off my diet my dr pepper dark berry please bring back mysterio okay so um, for a second if you did we just like slip and fall into another dimension because you said three things that i've never that don't make any sense which is in order dr pepper dark berry which i've never i've never heard of <laughs> Yeah, what's a dark berry, two, right? Number number yeah. two, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal Spider Man movie. Wait, that was, number three, that was, Jake, that was Jake Gyllenhaal, right? I'm thinking that right, right? Number three, dinosaur waterboarding. <laughs> it's it is upsetting to watch. I are we like, okay right now? Are we still in our the um, normal universe? By the way, the the underwater brontosaurs are called elasmosaurs. Elasmosaur. Ooh, that's a, that's a good name. That's got good mouthfeel. Yeah, that's to like it. the like Nessie style one mm-hmm. that has like the extremely long neck. Um, wow, also, way to just like totally do what the Jurassic Park people want you to do <laughs> and look up. No, the thing is that my um, my toddler right now really likes dinosaurs so we're reading dinosaur oh. books and one of them is just a bunch of dinosaur words where it's mostly just a bunch of hard to say names so um 
don't tell them that they about the waterboarding that dinosaurs are apparently notorious for. Yeah, when it's when it's time to watch dinosaur movies with your kid, uh, just stick to the first Land Before Time and the first Jurassic Park. Don't don't watch just those new ones. Skip the waterboarding they're, chapter. They're not great. Of the dinosaur book. <laughs> they are kind of hateful movies, and I don't like when a movie is hateful that doesn't need to be hateful. I love a good hateful movie, but Jurassic Park is not one of those kind of movies. <laughs> uh, speaking of hateful, I'm about to try this pure hate distilled into a can. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the report on this. <clears throat> wow it tastes exact like it tastes exactly like you would expect oh no which is like a gas station starbucks energy drink if you know what i'm talking about Kinda, and then yeah. and then like pbr manufactured like generic like mixer alcohol like a mixer like, mix in liquor is it supposed to be vodka in it or or like like whiskey like you normally mix with coffee it's just like you know it's like quote unquote hard whatever the hard is and like hard seltzer and all the other like shit that like hard blank that is getting pushed on us now you know it's just a generic like it, it might be i mean it it tastes just like the ge- it just tastes like generic hard, you know. Yeah. Um. um so when you did first send me an image of this alcohol. I said, I think I said that's what American Misato would drink in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's got enough of like, oh, <clears throat> the um, <laughs> it's also so sweet. Like, it has enough of that hyper sweet coffee aspect to where it like almost yeah. tastes like Yuhu or something. Oh no! It, yeah. Well, okay. You, I can drink Yuhu, but like, so that that's enough. I don't love Yuhu. It's not good like to drink. But I, mean, I, it's I can and water. Will, yeah, but I can and will drink it. And there's enough of that feeling, like, deceives me into going back. But then as soon as you drink it, it's like, that nasty alcohol, it, like, it's present from the, like, all the way through. It's not like, oh, it's an aftertaste. Like, you taste it immediately. It's there the whole time. And it also, like, it doesn't blend at all. It just feels like you're, like, it just... You're just drinking two different substances that are in the same can. Like, this is not a cohesive drink. I wonder if you could describe the Grand Panacea like this. Although it does seem to be a drink that people enjoy drinking, even when they don't know what they're drinking. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think, it, I think I'm going to set it aside. Um, <laughs> I might come back and, if I get really desperate. Um, which brings me to my third drink, which is... I'm still drinking this German Irish lager um, that I've been drinking. Yeah, that I've been drinking since um, what early April now, Mm -hmm. Um, which is like solidly mediocre. Um, And then you know, and then I have water and a skeleton. 
Oh, so you can talk about how you have water. <laughs> and a skeleton. <laughs> and a skeleton. Yeah. I'm just accounting for yeah, exactly. Only yeah. I can talk about water. Oh man, I have a I have a pretty awesome like skeleton uh tiki mug that I bought in twenty twenty. It occurs to me that y'all hadn't seen it because you guys haven't been over here to play anything since quarantine. I, I I got I got myself two tiki mugs. I got one that's Scrooge McDuck, because I like Scrooge McDuck, and I got a really cool skeleton one, so I wanna feel like a like a real skeleton sicko. I like drinking my drinks out of this massive bone colored skeleton mug I have. It's great. You're just um, heightening the realism there by making it bone colored. Yeah. I appreciate that. If I can find a link to it, I might throw it in the chat right quick. It's like, it's a good mug. I, I kind of was like, should I get a full set of these? This is a good mug. Um, shall we get into the episode? Yeah, I think I, I think so. I think that's. A, I feel like I feel like we've faffed about enough. It's this is a half hour post ending <laughs> segment. So yeah, let's 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 do it. All right. <laughs> <laughs>